Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ewers lobs it up, and it is incomplete. Intended for Mitchell. Elijah Jackson had the coverage. Washington hangs on and wins the All-State Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal. That's what it sounded like on ESPN as the college football playoff gave us a couple of good games yesterday alongside Alex Ferrario and... Tanner Hendrickson, T-Bone is back, baby. Let's go. Let's go. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 <laughs> ESPN. Yeah. It's going to be back with you guys here. Hope you all had a very happy new year. And Alex, we had a great day of college football yesterday. Genuinely great. It was the first time ever that both of the college football uh, playoff semifinal games were determined on the last play of the game. So that was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Let's start out with the final game first, and then we'll get into the Alabama versus Michigan Michigan game. Both of them gave us plenty to discuss. That one was everything that I want out of a college football playoff game. Washington versus Texas had two offenses that were playing at an extraordinarily high level. You had two defenses that made a few plays here and there over the course of the game, and two coaches that had their footprints all over their, uh, their offensive game plans. I loved watching it from start to finish. And ultimately what it came down to is at every step, we have underestimated this Washington team at every single step. They went into the Pac-12 championship game as an underdog of more than a touchdown against Oregon and beat the hell out of them. They went into the game yesterday as an underdog against Texas and beat them. And now Alex, they are a touchdown underdog once again in the college football playoff final against Michigan, and I think they're going to do it again. What was your biggest takeaway from Washington versus Texas? Uh, it was Michael Penix Jr. I mean, I I told you guys in the office watching that game, and I knew this about Washington. Like the dude is a gunslinger; he loves to throw the ball. But seeing it happen on a big stage like that in back-to-back performances, whether it was the Pac-12 championship game or you get this one against Texas, man, Michael Penix Jr. looks like a guy that should be skyrocketing towards the top of the NFL draft conversation. Just because, I mean, when you throw for 430 yards and two touchdowns, and look, I get it. Like Texas's defense may not have been the greatest there to allow that type of offense, but but man, I just I like the ability to throw the ball like that. This was a fun game, probably the most entertaining one for me. For sure. And I know Alabama, Michigan came down to the last play. But man, when you get two high powered offenses going like this, I don't understand why we underestimate Washington because they're undefeated and they have a guy who can throw the ball in an offense that is very impressive. It's crazy, right? They yeah. have not lost a game this year. And yet we treat them like all oh, this plucky underdog story. They have beat like. Five of the best teams in the country. And, it's and not, every time we watch them, we're like, whoa. And it's not Washington's like Florida good. State where they lost their quarterback. And we're like, oh, well, they, you know, they're, they're, they're playing shorthanded. No, they were playing as a strong team. They beat Oregon twice. They beat USC. They beat Utah. They beat Oregon State. Now they beat Texas. What more do we have to see before yeah. we're like, hey, maybe that team that beat six top 25 opponents this year is pretty good. Nah, they're lucky to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
They screamed TCU from last year. Clearly. Although different. Yeah. Or Florida State yeah. from this year, which was obviously the exact same thing when they beat one good opponent yeah. all season long. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Michael Penix Jr. I mean, you're right. I mean, that was the C.J. Stroud type game that you saw last year in the semifinal where he almost was able to get uh, Ohio State past Georgia. Mm-hmm. And Michael Penix was just awesome. Not only was he just like slinging it up the middle, but he was throwing dimes, perfect throws over the top of the shoulder to the wide receiver, reading the coverage perfectly well. I, I'm fascinated to know what happens to him in the NFL draft because there aren't a lot of left-handed quarterbacks. I think there's only one that starts in Tua in the NFL. And he just looked awesome yesterday. And, and that Washington team, I, I very much discounted what they could do at this high level. I don't know why, because you're right. They did win the best conference, in my opinion, this year in the Pac-12. Yeah. And the defense did a great job in the second half. Nobody's really talking about that. I know it ended up being close, 37-21. They held Texas to 10 points in the fourth quarter. And one of those was kind of just a garbage time. Basically, let them move down the field, give them that free field goal. The defense was awesome in the second half for Washington in that game as well. Made the biggest play when it mattered the most. Exactly. And and they did a great job against Quinn Ewers as well. I know he threw for 300-plus yards. Again, a lot of that, though, was late in that football game where he really started to accumulate that. I thought Ewers was going to have a big game, and he didn't play that well. He looked lost early on. Yeah. He, he was missing guys left and right, even at the end as well. I, I know you're totally right, T-Bone. They had that last uh, drive, but I think it's the second to last drive. He was missing dudes left and right. It was like he, he wasn't on the same page as his receivers. And I think a large part of that is because he didn't know what the defense was going to be giving him. They were changing the picture pre and post snap. And he just looked completely befuddled by it. I mean, you look at their receiver core, man. A.D. Mitchell was one of the best receivers in the Big 12 this season. He's going to be a top 50 pick in the NFL draft. He finished with four catches for 32 yards and a touchdown. They kept the lid on him, and he is a big-time over-the-top type of a receiver. The other guy, Xavier Worthy, is another top 50 potential pick in the NFL draft. Two catches, 45 yards, had a long of 38 on the game. It's basically the one big catch and did nothing else the entire rest of this. That is a remarkable job by Washington. Now, Texas was able to run it pretty well on the ground, but otherwise, man, they just... They didn't have a ton going for them offensively compared to what I expected out of them going into this game. Uh, Washington was great. And you guys mentioned Michael Penix Jr. He did have the performance that we are going to remember from this past weekend. If there is one player, one moment, one game that will be remembered from the 2023 semifinals, it is Michael Penix Jr. Once again, meeting the moment and going out there and looking like the best player in college football. And I don't know what it's going to mean for his NFL draft status. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on today. Expand on it a little bit. But man, he's a guy that has opened up eyes for fans all across the country with what he's able to do in this game specifically. The other game, Alex, I found to be less compelling watching it, but had just as good of an ending, just as surprising of an ending for me. Actually, before we get there. Um, late game situations are going to be a big topic of discussion in both of these. T-Bone, we talked about this a little bit before the show today. Did you think Washington made a mistake by not kneeling it out to finish that thing and put drain the clock down to about 10 seconds? Instead, they ran it. Running back gets hurt with 50 seconds left on the clock. Stops the clock because with under a minute to go, if you got an injury timeout, it stops the clock for you. Did you think that Washington made a mistake? by trying to run it out instead of kneeling it out there. Yeah, I, I thought they did. I, I would have taken the knee, especially because the running back had been dealing with an injury going into the game. If he was like fully healthy, I could understand the argument for, okay, our goal is to get the first down and try and end the game. An injury at that point is kind of a fluke. But because he's already hurt and he's trying to battle through that and he's battled through it for most of the game, that would be the point where I'd say, okay, I would just take the knee, let that clock run down. 
And though Texas does have a good offense, you held them in check. You're going to punt the ball. And they're probably going to get it with like, what, 10 seconds left at like the 10 yard line. Yeah, I, I would have taken the knee and then forced them to go 90 yards rather than what ended up really playing out where they had 45 seconds or 50 seconds to go a full 90 yards. I liked it. I like I crazy. Too. I like craziness at the end of it. And I like bold. But did you did you like the decision to run? Yeah, it? no, okay. I did. I like the decision to run it because you're just what you're going for the first down there. You're going to just yep. finish out the game. And look, it didn't work out, but you trust your defense. That's why you do it there. You trust your team that if it doesn't work out, they'll make the stand. And I think that's a championship mindset. And they weren't expecting an injury like you, it. You can't play for the idea that somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah, with that's under an Eli Drinkwitz move. And I, I understand why people are critical because it didn't work, right? That that's what we do. When something doesn't work, we're all the first to criticize. I there were also some people that were saying in the moment, "Yo, why are you not taking a knee or just take a knee, get it down to ten seconds, punt it away, be done with this thing?" I thought it was the right call. I like trying to go there and just you're. It is the is the least risky play you could possibly run just running it up the gut with your stud running back and he gets hurt and you end up leaving 50 seconds on the clock nearly came back to bite them so i understand the second guessing i really do i didn't have a problem with it in the moment so it's hard for me to now be critical of them after the fact but i do understand your perspective t-bone you're certainly not alone there the one that i did not like (laughs) my god alabama what are we doing what are we doing but can i just say that's the worst and least creative play I've ever seen when three teams call timeouts to come up with (laughs) that play. Dude. I mean, embarrassing. So if you didn't see it, Alabama loses to Michigan. Michigan ends up pulling this one out in overtime, 27 to 20. It was a close game throughout. I did not think it was a particularly well-played game, though. Defensively, Michigan, my God, uh, as good as advertised. They lived up to every possible expectation. They lived in Alabama's backfield. They won the line of scrimmage in this game on both sides, and that's ultimately what won the game for them. But I didn't think Jalen Milrow played particularly well at any point in time. Alabama apparently does not have a center that knows how to snap the football, which feels a bit problematic when you're in the college football playoff. Whether he was snapping it early, (laughs) he was snapping it too high, too wide. It was horrible from start to finish there. And then neither team seems to have a player that can return a punt. Also a bit problematic. Michigan special teams almost lost them this game. If not for that, Alabama would have been washed away. Then the final play happens. So to set this up, you got fourth and four from the four-yard line goal-to-go situation. Alabama sets up. We take a timeout. Then we take a timeout. Then we finally get to the actual play. It's like, waste right, of timeouts. Going to be creative. What are we going to do here? I want you to snap the ball and run it. <laughs> they decide our play call is an RPO. That's a bad snap. Who could have seen that one coming? What? That sets the play behind from the very beginning. Milrow makes a bad choice, which he had a tendency to do in this game. Instead of swinging it out to his running back, who was one option for him on this play, running back was open. He had two blockers in front of him. I think he probably gets in if he just throws it out there. Milrow decides to push ahead, just straight up the gut, and immediately is knocked back. No chance to get it in. 
Alex, it, it's one of the least creative plays you could possibly have in that moment. I'm not asking you go to go full Dan Campbell and try to get as much trickeration as possible in that moment. Wow. But can we get something else? <laughs> something other than the most obvious RPO that everybody was expecting. Hey, man, Gene Hackman in the one of the greatest movies ever made the replacement said winners want the ball. And Jalen Milrose said, I want the ball. But he didn't realize that his center wasn't going to snap it to him properly. And also, he was probably expecting a lot more creative play there. That... I, I don't know. Like that to me, when you're when you're in that situation three yards away, you got to come up with something creative to like be memorable. If they would have run that in, sure, we would have been talking about this differently. But that's the play you come up with when you're on the three yard line and you need a touchdown to continue this game. The better team won. The better team won. The more creative team won. However you want to label it. And I'm glad that it was that way because I think if Alabama's coming out of this one, I think we're all siding with Washington going into this college football championship game. Yeah, I, I just didn't understand the play call because of the issues that you mentioned. I mean, you knew your center had all kinds of issues stamping the football, and there wasn't any creativity to it. And again, you're right. It doesn't have to be the Dan Campbell where he even tricked the referee, but at least come we'll up with some. I was very upset. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to mute the group chat, and I wouldn't, I'd been away for a did while. Did you catch tone through a text? I did. It's a wild. lot of tone. A lot it's of tone. Wild. Um, but I, I I don't know. I Alabama just – I think there was the – you saw the video from Nick Saban where he said – we're hurting ourselves. And the only reason you're in that game is because Michigan played terrible, and even then you still continue to set yourself back, and that even happened on that last play of the game. They they did not deserve to win that football game. When that happened and they got stopped, I went, okay, thank goodness. Neither one of these teams deserved to win this, but if I had to pick one, it was Michigan. And Michigan at least got, I think it was creative. I can't remember which touchdown score it was. I think it was one at the end of the fourth quarter where they say, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to run the RPO, but he's also going to have the chance to have that pass on the flank as well for J.J. McCarthy. They run that, they score. Alabama, meanwhile, just says, you know what? Our offensive line has been able to block. We haven't been able to snap the ball effectively, so let's just go full steam ahead right up the middle, and it failed spectacularly. Baffling. Absolutely baffling. I understand some will say, ah, who's a fine play call, guys? They they nearly had No. No, it's a bad play. It was a bad play. <laughs> Did they nearly have it? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a bad play, a bad play call, and in that moment, you got to have your best stuff. And there's nobody who can convince you. Tommy Reese can't convince you that that was his best call from three or four yards out with the game on the line. It's just not, man. There's no way you can convince me otherwise. Their offensive line has been getting their ass kicked all day long, and now you are putting it in their hands. No, I want the ball in Jalen Milrow's hands. I do agree with that. I want him getting to the edge. I don't want him going into the teeth of what is maybe the best defense in all of college football this season. And that's what I was going to say. It's not just that the offensive line couldn't block them in the game. It'd be one thing if, like, the edges were struggling. If your tackles were struggling, I could understand going up the middle. You've been getting beat everywhere, on the outside and on the interior. So your idea was to run the ball up the middle? Shocking decision in that moment for what is otherwise a really good coaching staff. Uh, Special teams was the only thing that kept Alabama in that game. It ended up giving us a classic. Two games, New Year's Day, college football playoff, the final iteration of this version of the college football playoff in both games come down to the final play. First time we've ever seen that. So certainly all of us are appreciative of that. One more game left in the college football season. It will be Washington against Michigan for the Natty. Your early impressions, who you guys got? Michigan. Washington. I've got Washington. I think Washington finds a way to pull this one out. Um, I, I don't know that Michigan can keep up with them. I think Michigan will have some power run success I think Washington's offense is just too good, man. Over the top. I think they are absolutely incredible. He's Alex Ferrario. That is 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 15 minutes or so, we will get into the controversial ending in the Cowboys versus the Lions game. Unacceptable. Completely unacceptable, and I've never been more mad about an outcome of a game, I don't think. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. You guys can get involved. It's 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Alex, your Blues have a star in the making right now, and I'm not just talking about locally international superstar. We'll talk about him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To the near wing, Colorado on the puck, turns it over, Thomas, short-handed breakaway, he's in the clear, he shoots, he scores! A short-handed goal, Robert Thomas! Over to Cairo, over to Thomas, they score! A power play goal by Robert Thomas, his first power play tally of the season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The biggest story from the Blues this weekend, at least to me, Alex, was not them losing both games in which they played. I thought they played okay, honestly. Just didn't get the result that you were looking for. And in this season, that to me is not a huge deal. I thought the biggest story was Robert Thomas going up against two of the best players in the world and looking like not only did he hold his own, but maybe he was the best player on the ice in both of those games. He was outstanding. And now you look at his pace. He's on pace for 35 goals this year, 90 points, and is on pace to finish the season with a plus 27 on ice rating. Alex, he continues to be one of the best five on five players in all of hockey right now. And if you want to look at who the player is that is most deserving for this Blues team of going to the All-Star game, it's Robert Thomas. And it's not just because everybody's got to have somebody. It's because that dude's been one of the best players in hockey so far this season. He has. And to me, the moment that he entered the elite conversation was that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I know that seems odd to say because he just played against Colorado. They lost that game. But here's the thing. That was a back-to-back set where you were going into a four-day break. He was still the best player on the ice, but the night prior, he played 24 minutes and nine seconds against Connor, uh, Nathan McKinnon and held him to without a point, snapped a 19-game point streak. But then the next night, a back-to-back set when nobody else showed up and the Blues needed them to, he went tail-for-tail, toe-to-toe with Sidney Crosby and played again nearly 24 minutes against Sidney Crosby, held Crosby to without a point other than that empty net goal, and he also scored a goal. I mean, I'm not sure what else you can ask for for Robert Thomas in terms of calling him elite than what you're seeing this season. He's still the third best even strength offensive production in the National Hockey League right behind Kucherov and Nathan McKinnon. He's a plus 12 on the season with if you narrow that down among centermen, that's top 10 in the National Hockey League. And I mean, if you're talking about a guy who plays 20 minutes, he's up there with Barkov from Florida, Kopitar from the L.A. Kings, Mark Shifley from the Winnipeg Jets. Again, those are all elite centermen that you talk to in the National Hockey League. And then the one that Grant brought up to me on postgame, if you look at his shots, he's shooting the puck more, which is evident. I mean, he's 15 goals on the season. But last year at this mark, he had 52 shots on goal. Now he's got 78 shots on goal. So 
Everything about Robert Thomas's game is trending towards that elite conversation. And this is a massive thing for the Blues to have because to exit out of this retool, you're going to have to have somebody in an elite category. And Robert Thomas has placed himself in that. Yeah, and I brought this up during the offseason and when the season began. I said, can the Blues win without someone becoming a superstar? And that was the goal for Thomas and Cairo. Take the next step. Get into kind of that star, superstar status. I think Cairo's kind of gone a little baby step so far this year. Thomas has taken the leap that you were looking for. I mean, it, it, it's been impressive because the faceoffs he's good. You saw a one-time shot on the power play. Even strength, he's been good. Defensively, he's been good. He He's becoming that superstar if, if he continues because it can't just be this is a one-off year. Mm-hmm. He's got to finish strong. He can't he can't slow down and go through a cold stretch in the final like month of the season. He's got to stay with this strong the, the remainder of the season and then build off of it next year as well. But he's definitely looking like the guy that took the step that the blues were really hoping to see and fall into that superstar category. And I, I think they desperately needed someone like this to help them, whether it be leave the retool or if they're going to be a team that's going to take that step and become a cup contender in two, three, four years. And also think about this. All of these other elite centermen in the national hockey league are also playing with elite goal scorers with them. Like Rantanen, you've got um, in Florida, Matthew Kachuk, who's playing with Barkov. Robert Thomas is playing with two guys that aren't in an elite conversation. One might get there in Jordan Cairo, Pavel Buchnevich, you could argue is close to it, but neither are consistent elite players. And Robert Thomas is still producing 35 goals on pace and 90 points. Not consistent elite goal scorers. I, I think you could put Buchnevich into that potential elite player category, but I, I get what you're go- going with there. And I, I, to your point, T-Bone on, the Blues needed somebody to emerge as an elite player. I think they needed Robert Thomas specifically to emerge as an elite center because I don't think you can win anything meaningful without a legitimate number one centerman in the NHL. I think it is just as important as having a number one uh, defenseman or a number one goalie. If you don't have those three things, nothing else matters. It's like going into an NFL season and not having a quarterback. Well, then you're not a real team. Like, you can go through the motions and we can play our 17 games. We'll get to the end of the year and hopefully next year's a little different. If you go into the season and you have some retread quarterback starting for you, you're not competing for anything meaningful that season. Full stop. There's no way to get around that. If you go into a baseball season and you don't have a number one starter, guess what, guys? You're not competing for anything meaningful that year. Well, hasn't we'll get to that yet. a little later today. If you have a number one, if you don't have a number one center in the NHL, you're done. It's game over. You could potentially get to the playoffs. Maybe you have a little bit of fun throughout the season, but once you get there, you're going to need somebody that can go up against the Nathan McKinnons of the world, the Leon Dreisaitl's of the world. Like if you don't have that, you're done. And the Blues, I thought, came into the season without having a firm answer on that. I wondered aloud, do we think that maybe they're going to have to go to the free agency market? Are they going to have to take a look at Sebastian Ajo? Are they going to have to take a look at Alexander Barkov whenever he becomes a free agent? Is that going to be their way out of this retool, rebuild, whatever we want to call it? We don't have to have those conversations any longer. Robert Thomas has emerged as the player that can lead the team from a number one center's perspective. Now it's about adding beyond that. And we'll have our conversations about Cairo, where he's at, where Buchnevich falls into all of this. The big thing that they are now looking for is the depth of scoring. Because Alex, oh boy, they are really struggling in that category right now. If you're not getting goals from Cairo, Thomas, or Buchnevich in terms of your forwards, it is a rough go right now. Yeah, I mean, that to me was the 
epitome of what took place against Colorado and in the Pittsburgh game. Now, Colorado, look, I can understand toe-to-toe, best-on-best, and you just you lost by a bounce, so I'm okay with that. But that Pittsburgh game, man, you were the better team in the first two periods, but when your best players, meaning that Thomas line, just didn't have their legs, I mean, held Crosby off the board playing 24 minutes, but you weren't going to get a whole lot of offense from them at even strength. You got to get more. Last 11 games, your defense is four goals shy of outscoring your bottom nine forwards. Like, they've scored seven goals in 11 games, your defense has, and your bottom nine, second, third, and fourth line players have scored 10 goals. So I, that that is your biggest problem right now. Luke Horak had the nugget. Like, Braden Shen is in the longest goal point drought of his Blues career. Um, Kevin Hayes has gone off in like one game. Kapanen finally got on the board. Saad has gone off in a couple of games. Neighbors, and then your fourth line's invisible, hence calling up Nathan Walker. But yeah, it, it, that that's a problem that you, you've you got to fix over time. That's a problem you're hoping that all of these studs in the world juniors are going to fix over time. Thomas is the good piece, but man, for you to have any more success this season, you got to have somebody scoring that's not Thomas, Kyrou, and Buchnevich. Some of your forwards in the month of December. Jake Neighbors, three goals, one assist. That's four points. He's a rookie, whatever. It's, it's fine. 14 games. It's not what you want, but it you You'll can get live that. with it. Casperi uh, Kapan in 14 games, one goal, four points. Sonny, one goal, four points. Torbchenko, two goals, three points. Braden Shin, zero goals, two points, a minus six on the ice. You continue from there. Sammy Blay, zero goals, one assist. I think we might be ending the uh, the Sammy Blay experience More sooner rather than, than later. Zero <laughs> points in four games for Alexandrov. Zero points in five games for Hugh McGing. Zero points in two games for Jakub Vrana. The wow. bottom six for this team right now is nowhere to be found. Uh, and until that changes, you're just not going to get the results that you're really looking for. This season is about finding out answers in the long term. But for the immediacy, if we do want to see them competing for the 2024 that's going to require some of this to change. They're going to have to get more depth of scoring. Otherwise, they just they don't have the second line to be able to win with your top six. It's just not going to happen here uh, for 2024. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, I've never been more baffled by a penalty that took place that legitimately swung a game the way that I was on Saturday night as we all witnessed what took place down in Dallas. We'll discuss it, what happens as repercussions from that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Play action. End zone. There it is. Unbelievable. The two point try is good. And it's Taylor Decker. Part of the old guard that was saluted after the win last week. And the Lions are up by one. Now flag comes in at the end. Could be. Touching by number 68. So if he's going to be on the end of the line and be eligible, 
he needed to report as well. Wow. That's what it sounded like on ESPN on Saturday night as the Dallas Cowboys find a way to steal, let's be honest, a victory away from the Detroit Lions with Alex and T-Bone on BK. Alex, we got to talk about this because I was furious. Adam Cook. I'm still fuming from this situation. I think it's justified, too. What took place in that game is unacceptable. If you miss a judgment call, so be it, man. Like, sometimes we think there's a hold on a play and it doesn't get called, or or vice versa, right? Or there's hand fighting going on down the field. It's a Hail Mary. We think, hey, even in that spot, I understand you normally don't call that. That was too much physicality. You probably should. Okay. We can all go our separate ways on whether or not it should or should not be called. This was not a judgment call. This was a very black and white, is this a penalty or is it not? And the refs screwed it up. For anybody that was living under a rock over the weekend or just got away from sports for a little while and did not see what took place. The Lions score a touchdown in the final minute of regular or in the yeah, the final minute of regulation against the Dallas Cowboys. They decide to go for a two-point conversion. And on that two-point conversion play, Alex, they have a trick play that is put in. On this play, their left tackle. Taylor Decker is going to be ruled as an eligible receiver for that to happen. The receiver on his side of the field must line up off the line of scrimmage. They also bring in an extra tackle as they do regularly over the course of a game. And that tackle typically would go to the referee and report as eligible. Well, on this play, he acts like he's going to do the same thing. Never says anything. Important clarification here to the referee, then goes and lines up. And because of the way that he is lined up, Alex, he is ineligible to go downfield, even if he had reported as an eligible receiver. So all of that happens. The play goes on, as you heard there from Joe Buck, who had a fantastic call on it. It's an exciting finish. Lions potentially going to win this game 21-20, a gutsy decision by Dan Campbell to go for two. And then the refs come in and ruin it all. Because this ref, Brad Allen, is incompetent, Alex. He is bad at his job. He should not officiate another game this season in week 18 or in the postseason. He should be taken off of his crew and taken away from the NFL where he can referee a peewee football league for a year to learn the basic fundamentals of how to do your job. You took away millions of dollars in revenue from the city of Detroit, potentially, for hosting playoff games there beyond the first round of the postseason. You allowed the Dallas Cowboys to get back into the race for the NFC East. You altered the way that the NFL postseason is going to play out because of a completely baffling and irresponsible call at the end of this game. They screwed it up. There was no gray area here. They messed up because they made an assumption that what took play on previous plays in this game was going to take place once again on the two-point conversion, despite Dan Campbell telling them before the game, this is what we're going to do. Dan Campbell talked with the refs where Brad Allen was apparently unavailable to them. He had something else better to do than to talk to the bleeping head coach of one of the teams about what was going to take place over the course of the game. So he screws up, messes it all up. And then Dan Campbell loses his mind, decides to go for two from the seven yard line. Then there's another penalty, goes for it from two. He broke Dan Has Campbell. Terrible, Anger took over. Play call there. Like, eh, we can talk about what happened after the fact, but they should have gotten it. It wasn't their fault that the refs screwed up. And as a result of all of this, Alex, 
The Dallas Cowboys are now 11 and five, as are the Detroit Lions. And because of that, the Dallas Cowboys have the head to head tiebreaker over the Lions. Just baffling incompetence at the highest possible levels. This was the worst call in a season of terrible calls by the NFL's officiating. I think the Lions screwed up, not the officials. If you don't like it, make sure you make sure the uh, official hears you. Plain and simple takeaway there, BK. You can blame the officials all you want, but he didn't make sure the official heard him. Apparently, I can't get him to cook anymore with that one. Unfortunately, I gave you my thoughts. He's going to break him in that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 was, I can't believe how many. Sorry, I can't believe how many people, oh, by the way, oh, are done. going with that route of thinking. Oh, of, done. oh, the Lions, they tried to trick the wrong guy. No, man, yeah, they tricked the refs. Can't do that. <laughs> they ran a play that they told the refs they were going to run. And they operated exactly the way that they discussed with the referees, according to everybody that was involved in the situation. And the ref screwed it up. It's that simple. Yeah. Are you done? Yep, Are you officially it. done? Yep. Okay. Hey, man, you were the one that got me going again. <laughs> All right. Now, that's what true. if I read this quote from Jerry Jones? Let's see if this gets you going. Jerry Jones was asked about this of play. And quote, anything you do to fuzzy that up can get fuzzy for you. Jerry Jones, 2024. <laughs> is, is that actually a saying? I don't know, but I like it, and I want it on a T-shirt. I'm not really sure that makes any sense there, Jerry. It's like Jerry talking about the glory hole a few years ago. Uh, Sometimes Jerry just talks. Grandpa wasn't explained what glory hole actually meant. Are the Cowboys now the only threat to the uh, 49ers in the NFC, Alex? Is that where we're at because of this game? No, I don't think so. I mean, Detroit went toe-to-toe with them and got screwed over by officiating. So, no, I don't think... Dallas is the only team. Frankly, if Dallas is a team that can give San Francisco a run for their money, I'll say Detroit can too, because Detroit showed their ability on defense to find a way to stop minus CD lamb, that Dallas offense that people were so impressed by. And frankly, Dallas's or Detroit's offense went toe to toe with Dallas there. So no, I think if Dallas can be able to take down San Francisco, I can say the exact same thing about Detroit and I'll stand by my thought on Detroit because if they can stop Christian McCaffrey, they've got a chance to me. There's no threat to San Francisco, even watching that game this weekend. They're, they're just too good. And, and like they slept walk through Washington, that Washington game. and They still beat the crap out of Washington. Uh, Nothing changed for me between the Lions and the Cowboys. I still don't think either team's got a chance. And honestly, I'm more upset about the refereeing situation because it doesn't allow us to talk about Mike McCarthy trying to blow the damn football game. The biggest (laughs) issue for the Cowboys and why they couldn't beat the 49ers because they'd probably get the lead and throw a long Hail Mary on second down to stop the clock when they have no timeouts. Just terrible game management from Mike McCarthy. We don't get to talk about this because of the referee situation. Mike McCarthy reminded everybody why he's going to cost the Cowboys a playoff game for the course you get to the playoffs and the guy forgets how to actually manage a game that's kind of where i'm at i just i think the cowboys are super talented i think they're a good team i think that defense has really gone on the decline in recent weeks i don't know that i trust them i don't trust the detroit lions defense either though i don't trust any of these teams in the nfc other than the 49ers i think the biggest threat to the 49ers t-bone might be your team yeah the rams Hell yeah. At least they've got an offense that I can trust. I know every week they're going to come out there and and put up a good fight. I don't think they can get a stop in that game. I would not expect them to win. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think any of these teams can beat the 49ers. I think they're on a war path to the Super Bowl. So I think that's where we're at. Um, And maybe they would have had a better shot in Detroit if they had called this game correctly. Also in that game on Saturday, Alex, Jimmy Johnson was honored at halftime as being the newest member of the Cowboys Ring of Honor. I am curious what you thought as you saw this on Saturday night. I loved his halftime speech. 
And I want to thank the Dallas Cowboy fans, the millions of Cowboy fans, and the millions that despise the Cowboy fans. Because all of you is what makes this game so great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just got one more thing to say. How about him, Cowboys? WWE was watching this Dude. and being like, I wonder if we can make Jimmy Johnson an official ref, a wrestler because this man knows how to pump a crowd up. He's still got it. Yeah. You I know why he's an analyst. That dude would have got you fired up as a head coach. Yeah. Like, he could still do a damn good pregame speech in 2024. And what is Jimmy Johnson? Oh, he's got to be in 75. Oh, yeah. He's got to be 80. He's I mean, he, he had it. Um, I'm glad that he finally got his due. I can't believe it took this long to get him into the Cowboys ring of honor. That was uniquely Cowboys, though. Mm-hmm. A Saturday night football game on ESPN. Instead of going to their analyst, instead of going to anything else, they decided, you know what? We're going to stick with that. We're, we're going to give Jimmy Johnson his due. <laughs> Troy Aikman's going to go down on the field. All the Cowboys legends were there. That was awesome. Well, can you blame him? I mean, listen to the guy. No, the it, was guys, great. it was great. The guy's speech is better than any halftime show you're going to listen to. Guys, he's 80. Damn. Man, I hope I can give a speech like that when I'm 80. Heck yeah, man. He hasn't coached in 25 years. Well, 25 He probably should have gone and given a Was his a last year 99 with the mm-hmm. Dolphins? Yeah, like I have no recollection of him as a coach. He should have uh, gone and give a pump-up speak to the officials in that halftime. All right. Well, let's get to a couple other things here quickly in NFL Quick Hitters. Guys, the Dallas Cowboys are reportedly going back to uh, Mason Rudolph this week, despite the fact that Kenny Pickett is healthy enough to play for them if they wanted him to. Can we go ahead and say, hey, Kenny Pickett ain't going to be their quarterback next year? I've been saying that at the since the beginning of the season. I Guy has never shown a sign where you're like, damn, he could actually turn this Pittsburgh Steelers team around. Mason Rudolph has been the better quarterback for that team. I think Ben Roethlisberger coming out of retirement might be better than Kenny Pickett. Eh, well, let's not push it. Okay, you know? maybe that is pushing it. But yeah, I I was done with Kenny Pickett before the season, and now that Mason Rudolph has overshadowed him, I think it's pretty easy to say Pittsburgh's searching for a new quarterback, especially if you've got a guy who can make that team at least a winning record at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think you can say it's done. I, I was actually a little higher than Alex was on Kenny Pickett coming into the year. I didn't think he was going to be like a star, but I thought he'd be better and kind of at least solidify himself for a third year and another chance to kind of prove he's the franchise quarterback because I thought he played well down the stretch last year. And then this year, he took like five steps back, and it's just been terrible. So I think, yeah, them going to Mason Rudolph and them putting up 460-some yards against the Seahawks, no matter who the quarterback was, that wasn't, frankly, all that surprising. But Rudolph definitely has looked like the better quarterback. So, yeah, you can write him off. He's not going to be there next year. And if he is, he's going to be the backup. All right, and final thing here. Did I say somebody other than the Steelers? Yeah, you said the Cowboys. Okay, well, Steelers, Obviously, he's fired up still. Still cooking. One of you guys had a weird face when I was talking about it. I was like, did I say something else? How about them Cowboys? Um, Yeah, he's going to be the quarter. He's not going to be the quarter. It might be. He's more likely to be on the Cowboys next year than on the Steelers. (laughs) Backing up Trey Lance as number three. Wow. All right, final thing here. Caleb Williams is going to be a top five pick. Drake May is going to be a top five pick. Jaden Daniels, probably a first round pick, the former LSU quarterback. Is Michael Penix, based on his performance over the weekend, Alex, going to be a first round pick in your mind? I, I think he should be, um, especially for that performance. And then depending on what he does in this championship game against Michigan, he should be a first round pick, if not a top 10, top half of the league pick. I told you guys, and, and it might be, a little too much excitement on my part, but I feel a lot like CJ Stroud 2.0 with Michael Penix Jr. Dude can sling the ball, and if you put him on a good team 
with a decent line that can protect him, I think you're going to have a really good season from Penix Jr. He's my dark horse this uh, this NFL draft. Yeah, I should he be a first round pick? I, I think so. I, I'm not sure he's there though yet in terms of what evaluators see. I, I think it comes down to the Michigan game because that's an NFL caliber defense on the other side he's going against. He plays well against them and puts up gaudy numbers again, throws for 350 plus, three touchdowns, no picks, takes care of the ball. Yeah, I could see where he works his way into the first-round pick conversation. You know who I don't think is a first-round pick? It's J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh says he's best quarterback ever. He's better than Tom Brady. I I actually do think he's going to go down as the best Michigan quarterback ever. Most accomplished, for sure. That's fine. I can hear that. But when Harbaugh was like, best quarterback in (laughs) Michigan. You know what? Best quarterback in college football history. Whoa, man. Harbaugh had way too much time off this year. That's absurd. Someone got doused by too much champagne that's that's ridiculous but the the idea of him being the best quarterback at michigan speaks to the history or at least recent history of quarterbacks at michigan more so than it does jj mccarthy he's fine he's fine um i would not take him in the first round at at all i quinn ewers by the way good decision to come back he's also not ready for the nfl but williams may uh michael Penix jr Jaden daniels i think all four of those guys should go top 15 and if I'm an NFL team right now that's in need of a quarterback, I'm feeling pretty good about my options this year compared to what it's been in some of the previous seasons if I'm not picking top two. Because we've seen every year you've got a quarterback or two that'll go you know, top five where you're feeling pretty good about them. This year, I think there's four different guys that if I've got any of those guys as my quarterback in 2024, I feel like there's a legitimate reason for optimism. Like these guys make me feel way better than your boy Mac Jones ever did or than Kenny Pickett ever did. They have a legitimate upside that those players did not. Do you have an NFL comp, by the way, for uh, Pinnix? I mean, the one that came to mind was CJ Stroud, but I think that's just recency bias. I know Rock told us Donovan McNabb. It's an interesting one. Yeah, I... He reminds me a little bit of Tua, left-handed quarterback that just can really just sling throws it. it. Yeah, like that's who he kind of reminds me of. Another one that I kind of thought of, and I, I don't know, I can't remember what Locke was viewed like, but he reminds me a little bit of Drew Locke, where he can sling the football. But I think he reads a defense better than Drew. And I Locke feel like he's did. got more athleticism than Drew Locke in terms yeah. of getting out of the pocket and being able to move around. I, it kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson. Like he's bigger than Russell Wilson is in terms of his pure size, his height. But the cannon that you see from him and really the deep ball touch, that was the best attribute that Russell Wilson had when he first got into the league is he just he threw the best deep ball in the NFL. There was nobody that was close, and it felt like he would connect on that from start to finish of any game in which they wanted to throw it. I I think that's going to be where Michael Penix has to succeed next year because I he's got a cannon. I don't know what it's going to look like when he doesn't have a great offensive line in front of him and he doesn't have the best weapons on the field in terms of like his intermediate range, that that will be something that I'm still kind of TBD on whether or not I trust him there. But his deep ball, that is something that I think can absolutely translate at the next level. And that's what Russell Wilson from start to finish has been good at. Put him in Atlanta. Put him in Atlanta. I like it. With those weapons, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, all you got to do is heave the ball up in the air. That'd be my pick. Washington would be really interesting for him. Yeah. I was thinking Seattle. That would be a great spot. Oh my God. With those three guys. Keep him in Washington too. Yeah, Man, that would be Washington smart. Be that would be smart. I'm sorry. Keep him in the state of Washington yeah. with the oh, Seattle Seahawks. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> T-Bone Seattle. didn't get it. Keep him in Seattle. That, that would have been the better DC's way. DC's not a state. It. It's just a district. Yeah. Coming up <laughs> in about 15 minutes or so, the Braves just made the deal that we were all hoping to see the Cardinals make. What does that mean for them? What does it mean for the bleeping Braves? We'll get into that coming up in a little bit. Questions and answers is next.
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to this one from the three one four guys. What would have to happen for Yadier Molina to be the manager of the Cardinals by the end of the season? Five hundred or less record by the All Star break. You think that does it? Yeah. Mm. I think below five hundred by All Star break, and you're like, I don't know, seven eight games out of the division maybe even the playoff picture. I could see where they could continue to kind of kick the tires and keep it marble if they're in the playoff picture. But if the division's getting away from them and the playoffs are and they're below 500, absolutely. And then I could see that becoming the change. If they start something like 10 and 20 or 10 and 15, something like that, like a significantly below expected start, I could do it. You get off to a really bad start this season. And by the way, the schedule is not particularly forgiving early on. They are, they have a really difficult opening to the schedule. They start out with four at L.A., then they go to San Diego, then continuing from there, Miami, Philly, Arizona. It's a whole lot of contenders that you're opening up the season with in the National League. And if you start losing a bunch of those head-to-head, I could see how early on there's pressure that is imposed on Ali Marmol for his job. I don't know if that's fair or not, but um, that's the way that this thing goes. So I, I do think it's... If he's like at or around 500, I don't think he gets fired. I think that's something that could happen after the season, maybe. But if it's 10 games below 500 by the All-Star break, I could totally see them making the move at that point. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, can you see a scenario where Jim Harbaugh wins the national championship with Michigan and goes to the NFL after the season? Absolutely, I can. I I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are probably going to be calling him and saying like, hey, we want you for our team. T-Bone brought up the one in the office. The Chargers are going to be one of them. Um, I I think there's going to be a lot of teams that want Jim Harbaugh already. And then if he wins the national championship, I think everybody's going to be banging on his door to to bring him into the NFL again. Yeah, Would I you want him as your NFL head coach. If you're a team looking for a coach. Right if now? I'm a team that feels like I can win, probably. If I'm a team that's still developing, no. That's where I am. Because I I think, one, I do think he leaves after this championship game, win or lose, because I think he just wants out of the college game. I think he's tired of dealing with recruiting and then what you saw the ramifications this year. Uh, And I... I think you can do it if you're a team that has the roster to win now because you saw what went wrong in San Francisco. And as a college coach, he's naturally going to have this instinct of, I want to control the roster. I want to be the guy that pieces this together. When it really doesn't work at the NFL level, we've not seen a lot of head coaches have success when they're being the head coach and the GM. Look at Bill Belichick. So I think if you're a team that's got the roster like the Chargers who think they can win now, uh, the Falcons who look like they've got the pieces just the quarterback away, they could probably be a team that could bring them in. But if you're a team that is like Washington, who's probably in like a three-year retool, 
he's not the guy for you because your GM needs to be the one that oversees that. You just named the only two places that I I feel like makes sense for him. I feel like the Chargers is really the spot. Yeah. Like the Chargers are the team that everybody is going to connect with every high profile former coach, either at the college level or the NFL level. Like Bill Belichick, if he becomes available this offseason, where would you want to see him? Chargers, Jim Harbaugh, if he's legitimately interested. And by the way, Adam Schefter said today on Pat McAfee that he thinks he is interested in going to the NFL. If he's interested, the spot that makes the most sense is the Chargers. For all of these guys, if you're trying to contend right now, that's the spot. Unless one of these openings happens that we're not currently anticipating. The one other thing that could make some sense is like, I don't think they're going to do it. But if Philly were to move on from Nick Sirianni. Well, see, okay, I was sure. going to say Buffalo. Sure, that, that could yeah. make sense, too. If one of those Jacksonville, if Jacksonville were to say, you know what, this is not working with Doug Peterson, we need to go elsewhere. Like those are the other kinds of teams that could make sense for somebody like Harbaugh, like Belichick. But right now with what we're anticipating, I think the Chargers are the team uh, that makes the most sense for those kinds of coaches. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are in or out here on BK and Ferrario. But next... The Braves made the move that I was really hoping the Cardinals would make. What does it mean for the Braves? What does it mean for the Cardinals when you look at their rotation compared to the other leading contenders in the National League? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK. So there was a big move over the weekend, Alex, a move that I honestly would have liked to have seen the Cardinals make. I'm not sure if they could have made it work for the return going to the Red Sox, but the Atlanta Braves, they stay winning in some of these trades. The Red Sox and Braves get together on a trade. Chris Sale goes to Atlanta. Vaughn Grissom to the Red Sox. According to our Mark Feinsand, it's $17 million as well going along with Chris Sale to the Atlanta Braves to help pay a majority of Sale's salary for 2024. The Braves hoping that Sale can at least deliver as many innings as he did for the Red Sox in 2023. He was able to go over 100 innings for the first time since 2019. For the Boston Red Sox side of the equation, they likely will see Grissom as their everyday second baseman alongside Trevor Story, who looks to bounce back himself at shortstop. So that's what they wanted. They wanted a right-handed bat that could play middle infields for the Boston Red Sox, and they wanted to eliminate as much of Chris Sale's salary as they possibly could. They end up giving up, what is it, like 15 million bucks that the Braves are going to be spending here for Chris Sale? So Braves get a potential front-end starter at the back end of his prime with a year left on his deal. Red Sox get their middle infielder right-handed hitting bat. Let's talk about it from the Braves' perspective first, Alex. Man, this is the kind of deal I would have loved to have seen the Cardinals make. I know that the numbers in terms of the ERA didn't look great for Chris Sale last year. at a 4.3 ERA, but the dude strikes out the world. Win Wright is a legit front-end starting pitcher, has all of the swing and miss that the Cardinals were looking for, and it's essentially a buy low candidate where you're getting him on a one-year deal on a similar type of money situation to what you're paying right now for Kyle Gibson or Lance Lynn. Did they give up a lot for him? Yeah, he didn't have a spot, though. Grissom didn't with the Braves. I think you could have potentially made something work here. What did you think of this deal for the Braves and what it means for them? Yeah, I mean, I was in the same spot as you. I thought, man, the Cardinals missed out on this one, mostly because, like, I 
it scares me to sit there and rely on him to be the front end starter, but you're bringing in the upside there. I would have much rather had a Chris Sale and not had a one of Lynn or Gibson because you I, still, why not have all of it and just put Steven Matz well, into the bullpen? Absolutely, you know? but I'm Cardinals mindset. You're probably thinking like, well, we don't need him because we've got all of these They've guys. Got the money, yeah, to I, do something like that. I, I I think this is the upside that you would have tried to buy high on. I know I was all about the Alec Manoa train. This is kind of that sense, like you're hoping you get back to that Chris Sale at least for one whole season, and you're giving up somebody that's really not into the plans for you for the long term future. So. Yeah, I, I I would have loved to have seen them try and pull off a move, especially because money was eaten in this deal and significant dollars as well. I remember we talked about this at like the trade deadline last year or before the trade deadline of, hey, what about Chris Hill? And I said, no way on that contract because you're not going to get maybe 100 innings if you're lucky. I mean, he's projected to throw 112 next season, and that is like best-case scenario. Right. Um, but I, I would have loved to do this deal because it is high upside. It's swing and miss stuff. and. You can play the game and with the rotation the Cardinals currently have constructed of, okay, if we keep Chris Sale healthy, now we have a maybe a not a number two, but definitely a number three with swing and miss stuff that can play for five innings in a playoff series or can go five innings when he is healthy. And if he does get hurt, at least we have those guys that then can backfill as well because of what you said. You move Matt to the pin, now he comes back into the rotation. Like It, it would make sense for the Cardinals to be making that kind of move. I, I don't know if they matched up well. I do agree with that. I, I just don't know if they had the right-handed infield bat that the Red Sox were looking for. But I do love the idea of them trying to do something like this, and not just because of, hey, it's swing and miss stuff. It's creative. It's something that's creative that I just feel like we haven't seen the Cardinals do in really some time. If he wouldn't have gotten traded now and was still available, this screams Cardinals trade deadline move. Yeah, I mean, it could have. I, I don't know that they make this kind of move, though, because to T-Bone's point, this requires some creativity of, OK, you're going to have to increase the capital that you're giving up if you're the Braves or the Cardinals in this scenario. Because of the money that Boston is eating in this salary, it's going to be $10 million. That's what the Braves are spending this year for Chris Sale. And maybe more importantly, they have a $20 million option for next year to be able to bring him back if they want to. And they don't have to. So they have flexibility that's there. The payroll is not being uh, significantly altered because you're bringing in Chris Sale. Now you look at their rotation, man, and there's a lot of injury risk here. Don't get me wrong. And they've got some legitimate questions still, but it's better than what they had last year. Spencer Strider, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, Chris Sale. All four of those guys I would rather have as my number two starter over Miles Michaelis going into this upcoming season. All four of them. And if you're telling me it's Strider versus Sonny Gray, who are you taking? I'm, I'm taking Spencer Strider, but at least Sonny Gray gives you a chance. You, you're not just going to ace for ace in that situation. The defense, offense, all of that goes into it. So we know weird stuff happens in baseball. You have a fighting chance in that game. The problem is when you're going Max Reed versus Miles Michaelis and you're going Charlie Morton versus Kyle Gibson and you're going Chris Sale versus Lance Lynn, you are heavily an underdog in each of those matchups because of what the Braves now have in their rotation. So you look at what they've done this offseason. You look at what the Dodgers have done in order to improve their rotation with Yamamoto and Tyler Glass now being added to Bobby Miller in that mix. I, Walker Bueller being back there. I I just don't know how I can honestly look at the Cardinals rotation right now and say to myself, yeah, this is a contender. It's a contender for the NL Central, but it's not a contender for anything once you get to the postseason. Maybe with looking at the Cardinals versus the end of season rotations that existed across the National League. Sure, you could have convinced yourself of that if you ended up with, 
I don't know, you, you see Nola leave Philadelphia. You don't see Yamamoto or Tyler Glass now go to the Dodgers. They're relying on all of these young starters again. The Braves don't add Chris Sale, and now they're running it back with legitimate questions in terms of the injuries with Freed and Morton. Okay, sure. Now I can talk myself into the Cardinals. That, that stuff didn't happen, though. All of those teams did add, or they brought back their front-end starter in Aaron Nola in Philadelphia. Cardinals have a lot of catching up to do, and it requires. I know what you said, Alex, about the Cardinals looking at it and saying, yeah, but we don't have a spot for sale. Yeah, you do. And you need to add somebody between now and the start of the regular season in order to catch up. And though we gave the Cardinals a lot of credit for jumping the market and getting the back-end guys and getting Sonny Gray and getting all this done, I mean, they had this all done before the winter meetings. So now that you are seeing these teams make these moves, because, yeah, you're right, going into the winter meeting, sure, I could listen to the argument of, hey, if I look at these the Cardinals' rotation to everybody else, yeah, they look pretty good. Like, it's easy. I don't really have to squint. They do kind of line up with them. But now everybody else is now starting to play and bring in some serious power to their rotation. You do have to get creative. If you're the Cardinals and you are serious about Winning and not just defining winning as 85 wins to win this year's NL Central, which is the way it looks right now, then you need to get creative. You need to be willing to say the not operate on the, well, we got five starters. No, you need six. You probably need eight starters to get through a season, but I'm not saying you bring in three other guys. Bring in one, move Mats to the pin, and then you can kind of use Mats, Thompson, Libertor as swing guys that can slide into the rotation when they need to. Plus, you got Graceffo and McGreevy that are on the verge of getting to the big leagues as well. I originally thought when I saw the Chris Sale deal was like, maybe this is good for the Cardinals because it takes another team out of the Dylan C sweepstakes. But if you're not jumping in on this conversation of Chris Sale, are you really jumping in and paying the even bigger price to get a Dylan Cease? 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, why would you want a 100 inning starter you're just looking at the name not who you're actually getting in return totally disagree I would want a 100 inning starter because the Cardinals are lacking upside the Cardinals have added all of the innings that they needed they were innings deficient this past season and they were able to solidify that and we gave them credit for doing so by acquiring Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson sure that's a more than fine way to go about this so long as you also add upside. Because right now, you've got Sonny Gray, who has upside. I like Sonny Gray. You guys know I said all year long, that should be somebody the Cardinals go out there and acquire. He should be on the list, maybe at the top of the list, in terms of bang for your buck, that you can get this offseason. I love the Sonny Gray signing. It's what happened afterwards, or in addition to, that has left me wanting a little bit more this offseason. They've added some names to the bullpen. Good. They should have. They've added a couple of guys that give you innings into the rotation. Good. You needed to. Now it's time to shoot for upside. And if that comes in the form of a guy that only gives you 100 innings, fine. It's why I was in on Tyler Glass now. That guy you expect to start no more than 20 games for you next year. And in those 20 starts, he's going to be great. And in the other 10 to 15, you've got Zach Thompson. You've got Matthew Libertor. You've got Gordon Graceffo. You've got Matt, uh, Michael McGreevy. You've got TK Roby. You've got other pitchers that can fill in for him. You've got Steven Matz that could capably fill in for spot starts if you need him to. But what you're looking for is somebody that can start a game two of a postseason series for you if, if healthy. Chris Sale could have been that player for you. Now he's off the table. Dylan Cease is somebody you turn your attention to now. You go to the Mariners. You go to the Marlins. You look at these other teams and say to them, we've got to find something. And now we are kind of in a desperate spot, so we've got to go make that move that is necessary. If we were to look at the bullpen, Alex, and the Cardinals, we still think they're going to make a move maybe two out there in the bullpen. 
The Red Sox are reportedly still looking to shed more of the salary. It sounds like they're in like a one or two year rebuild process right now with their new GM there. There was some questions about maybe Kenley Jansen or Chris Martin being on the move based on them needing to shed some more salary. Would you have interest if the Cardinals wanted to go this route and trade for a reliever on a one-year deal as opposed to bringing somebody in via free agency? Absolutely, because both of these guys, I think, match the identity of what the Cardinals need more than the pitchers that are still available on the market. I mean, Chris Martin's old, but Chris Martin, the last two two years really has been freaking awesome. And I always like the idea of a Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen's kind of like Craig Kimbrell, in my opinion, where you bring somebody in might be on the back end of their career, but you know, he can close out games for you. So yeah, I would, I'd be calling Boston today asking about either of these pitchers to find out who I could realistically acquire. Yeah. I'd have interest in both. And I think Jansen's probably as of right now, a little bit outside their price range. But again, it comes down to getting creative. Are you yep. willing to pay a little bit more in prospect capital or whatever it is you give up prospect capital to have them eat like $4 million? Because I, th- I think they're looking to pay about 10 to $14 million for a, one reliever and then probably call it an offseason would be my guess. Um, Kenley Jansen could fit into that conversation if you're willing to give up a little bit more. I, I get it. He's old, but he's been very good throughout his career. He hasn't had a year with an ERA above four outside of his rookie season. Think about that. By the way, his rookie year was 2010. <laughs> like That's how good Kenley Jansen has been. Chris Martin as well. Good. Has some swing and miss. So I'd be interested in both these guys if the Red Sox are looking to dump some salary. Yeah, I think you can get them for a reasonable price too. I don't yeah. think it's going to take a lot to get either of these players. Now, they might just wait until the, the deadline. They could probably, if we're being honest, get more for these players at the deadline than they could right now because everybody is so reliever um, hungry craved once you get to the deadline but you are taking a risk that one of them gets hurt and then you get nothing in return for them and they're probably not going to contend for anything meaningful this year so if you're the Cardinals I think I would add a little extra to sweeten the pot to maybe take those salary down a little bit maybe you get Chris Martin on a five million dollar deal and you can still go out to the market and add one other reliever as well so maybe you get Chris Martin and Phil Maton and that's the way that you add to the back end of your bullpen going into next year. I would Fancy. love to see them do something like that uh, heading into the season. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for in or out here on 101 or ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out here on BK and Ferrario coming up here in just a little bit. We'll talk about the Mizzou game from the weekend. Alex, our Tigers picked up a nice win over the Ohio State Buckeyes. I don't want to hear about your opt outs. I don't want to hear about your injuries. Mizzou beat you fair and square, Ohio State fans. You can do your sulking on your own time. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But right now, let's get to in or out. Alex, my question for you. Has Justin Fields done enough to keep his job with the Bears? And instead of taking a quarterback at number one overall, the Bears decide to trade that pick. In or out, Fields has done enough to keep his job. I'd say in. I, I, I have been impressed with him this season. 
he might not be the most polished quarterback that you sit there and say, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I got to be honest. You draft Caleb Williams. I'm probably saying the exact same thing. Um, I, I love the idea of Justin Fields with this team moving forward. I think you need more weapons. I think you need more protection, but Justin Fields to me has shown that he can be the quarterback that could lead this team to a successful season. I think I'm out. I, and it's not so much that it's wow. against just actually had yeah, this. Um, <laughs> I, I think you reset the clock. If you're the bears, I, you get five years of Caleb Williams on a rookie deal and you get to keep a lot of your weapons like DJ Moore. Yeah, I, I would stay with that. I think the defense has gotten good. And I, in fact, I would probably keep Matt Eberflus as coach. I would just move on from Justin Fields. And it's more just because I get to reset the timeline. And though Fields has played well in the second half, this is what back-to-back years that he struggles early on. I think last year was them figuring out what they had in Fields, but back-to-back yeah, back years to start running him. Yeah, back-to-back <laughs> back years surprise, though. You had a running quarterback. That when it's early on and things actually matter, quote unquote, for the Bears, he struggles. Back-to-back back years in the second half when they're basically out of it. Justin Fields looks like the guy that they thought he was going to be. That's enough for me to go, you know what? Sometimes it's not the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but I'm willing to take that chance with Caleb Williams and draft him number one overall. I can't believe I'm saying this. I think I'm in. I think I would stick with Justin Fields, man. I think he looks really good right now. Some of the plays that he has made over the last three, four weeks, probably four weeks since that Detroit game, have me thinking to myself, can he be what Lamar is? Can he be that player for you in the future? Because Lamar Jackson had that MVP caliber season, and then the next three years looked a lot like the last couple of years have been for uh, Justin Fields. Not enough weapons around him. You wonder, okay, is it ever going to reach that ceiling again? And it has. This year, when he got the right play caller, he got the right weapons around him. We're watching Lamar, and he's the odds-on favorite right now to win the MVP again. I don't know that Justin Fields is as talented as Lamar Jackson, but can he be 80% of that? I think the answer is yes. And if I've got that internally, I don't think I want to go to play this roulette of what are we going to be able to get in the NFL draft? Instead, I would trade down a few picks, get Marvin Harrison Jr. Next year, go into the season with Marvin Harrison Jr. on one side, DJ Moore on the other, Cole Komet at tight end, and think to myself, all right, I feel pretty good about this. By the way, they also, in this scenario, would have another first-round pick to play with and whatever they get to be able to trade down in the first round. So it's a huge risk either way you go. Either you're moving on from something that might end up better than what you get at number one, or you keep this guy, pay him a bunch of money, and you end up missing out on whatever you could have had at number one. It's a tough spot. I do not envy this. I think this is the most difficult decision at quarterback I have seen in the NFL in a long time. But I think I would stick with Justin Fields. Here's the other thing. If you decide to stick with Justin Fields, how far down are you trading that pick? Because, man, I would... I was going to say, I would love to try and still have a chance to get Marvin Harrison Jr. That would be my goal. Trade it to somebody in the, because I think once you get to the fourth pick, I think that's Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. So your top five right now, two is Washington, three New England, four Arizona, five the Giants. I think Arizona takes Williams, or Harrison Jr. 
So I would try and find a way to trade with the third. Washington or New England. Yeah. yeah agreed. That, uh, because if I I'm, think New England feels like the right spot yeah. to be able to trade. Because if you're Chicago, you still have two top 10 picks, and that other pick can be an offensive lineman, depending on who's there for you. And to me, man, I just made one of a team that could be one of the top teams in that division next season. It sounds crazy. They might have to give up because there's going to be a lot of competition to get up to number one this year, maybe even more so than last year. New England might have to give up number three and their second round pick and next year's one to be able to move up to the number one overall pick. <laughs> and and if you're the Bears, you're like, yeah. hey, so I'm getting a f- number 34 overall pick. I'm already selecting this year at number 10, I think number 10. So I'm getting number three, number 10, number 34. Maybe I move down from 10, get and, myself a tackle. In and like next the year's a top 10 pick, too. You're feeling pretty good about the yeah. way that you're building. Now. That's who I'm targeting to. New England would be the team if I'm Chicago. I'm saying, let's make a trade. Agreed. But you're giving me third. <laughs> uh, by the way, there was a report that came out today that if they traded Justin Fields, they would probably get a second round pick in return. I think they would get more than that. I think they could get a first. I think so, too. If they if they decided to make Justin Fields available, somebody like, I don't know, uh, Tampa Bay. Maybe they give up the 20th overall pick. Maybe Pittsburgh gives up the 18th overall pick. Or you get equal value to a first-round pick where a team is giving up a uh, a second, like maybe Washington is giving up the number 41 overall pick and number 36. Technically, you're not getting a first-round pick there, but by combining those two, if they wanted to trade up, they could get into the first round. I, I think he's got more value than that. Didn't Sam Darnold get a second? Justin yeah. Fields is better than Sam Darnold was when he yeah. was traded by the Jets. Yeah. All right. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line for in or out. Alex, what do you have for us today? Uh, in or out, boys. The Blues, with the exception of the top line, will not have another 20-goal score this season. So outside of Buchnevich, Thomas, Thomas Kairou. So for, for, for 12 goals I, on I'm Jake out. Neighbors. I think that Jake Neighbors gets there. Kevin Hayes has got nine. Sod's got nine. Shen's got eight. And then yeah. your Torpchenko, Kapanen, Sunquist. I think at least one of those guys get there. I think there's a pretty decent chance that two of them gets a 20. Yeah. I'm actually in on this one. Wow. I don't think it happens. I think Thomas is going to be guy who gets 30 to 35. I think Kairou gets to 25, maybe 30, and Booch is going to be 30. I I think Neighbors is still going to have the ups and downs. And I think because Neighbors won't get there is because the other guys aren't producing. See, I would say I'm out, and I think you mentioned those ups and downs with neighbors. The only reason I would say I'm out is because in those ups and downs with neighbors, we've seen that he can score in bunches. And I think that that could happen again because I think it's going to be close. Like, if he gets to 20, it might legitimately be right at 20. (laughs) But I think when he goes through that up and down, I think you could see him score like five in a six-game span and then go cold for a month, but then score five in a three-game span. Like, he feels like a streaky goal scorer, but I'll say I think he can get there. Anybody else? No, but the best story would be Verona getting called back up and getting there. That would be <laughs> Dude, chef's kiss. He's a point-per-game player right mm. now for Springfield. Mm. Now, his minus is still abysmal. Oh, but Forget hey. about that. <laughs> Banisher's accountability these days, right? There you go. T-Bone, what do you got for us? Guys, in or out, we were talking about this during the commercial break. The Cleveland Browns can get out of the AFC playoffs and get to the Super Bowl. And they absolutely can. I think they're the team. People are bringing up the Bills for good reason. They've got a co- they've got a quarterback that you trust. They've got a team that's been there in the past. I, I get it why people are talking about them as the dark horse contender. By the way, they could still be your number two seed in the AFC. The team that I really think should be in this conversation. <laughs> God, the AFC is awful. Is the Browns. <laughs> the Browns have a defense that could go up against anybody and shut down the opposing offense. And Joe Flacco is exactly the kind of quarterback that you want in a year like this. Because he could totally lose the game for you. You could throw five picks in a playoff game. Nobody should be surprised if that happens. 
but he could also throw for 350 and three touchdowns with four plays of 50 yards or more. That also should surprise exactly nobody. So yeah, I think the Browns for me, like if I'm placing a long shot bet today on somebody that can win the Super Bowl, for me, that team is the Browns, and I would place it on them specifically to get out of the AFC because I think they can absolutely do it. I think there's one team that's better than the Browns, and it's the Ravens. I would argue that everybody else, I'm not too sure because Miami has shown their inability. Buffalo had an awful week. Um, and then, well, I mean, the Chiefs are laughable. So, yeah, it's it's Browns and Ravens. So, yeah, I'm in on this one. Yeah, I, I'm in. And BK mentioned if you could put a long shot bet. I did this when I was home when I was off last week. Put a couple bucks on plus 1,800 for the Browns to win the AFC. I wasn't willing to go Super Bowl because I think the 49ers are just the best team in football. But I could see where they could get past the Ravens. I mean, they've beaten the Ravens once, different time, of course. I don't even think Flacco was their quarterback at that point. But Joe Flacco is definitely the kind of quarterback and credit to Mike Sando for pulling this up in his article last weekend. He was putting up the same numbers he did in a smaller period now with Cleveland as he did when he was with Baltimore and won the Super Bowl. So I could see where he gets hot. That defense is really good and they could find a way to squeak past anybody in the AFC. So I'm definitely in on this. All right. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. A couple of more for in or out from the 314 guys in or out. Lamar Jackson should be certified as the MVP this year. There's nobody else that can get it. Yeah, I I, I got to say, and I got lit up after his touchdown and his performance that he just had on Twitter because somebody had to point out all the stats of Lamar Jackson as an MVP. Look, I was skeptical last week, but that performance I can't deny. So yeah, I'll say, and plus you had Josh Allen struggling against New England. I, I think it's Lamar Jackson's title to lose. I'm only saying in because it's a quarterback award. If we were truly willing to listen to arguments for CMC or Tyreek Hill, I think one of those guys still deserves it. But I know that this is going to be a quarterback vote. Everybody seems to be saying that. Tyreek not having his best stuff the last few weeks. It's tough the way he ends, but I'd still argue what he's done is better than any quarterback has done this season. Yeah, and I think for Lamar, I think we've seen it, and he's done a very good job against the good teams, and that is what's helping him. But there have been just weird games for him, and I think that's what the case with every quarterback. Every quarterback you can point to, like Dak had that – like four-week stretch where it was like, hey, Dak Prescott could be MVP. And then as you see the three weeks following that, he just hasn't looked the same. I think there's been some games for Lamar where I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't – an MVP at quarterback does it for 17 games. And I just haven't seen that. I I think he ends up getting it. Yes, I'm in on this because it is a quarterback award. But if people were actually willing to vote for somebody outside of the quarterback position, I don't think he would get it. A $100 bet on Lamar Jackson right now to win MVP wins you 50 cents. Ooh. Oh, I've always wanted 50 cents. A $10,000 wager wins you $50. Who would do that? In other words, correct. In other words, there is no longer even a conversation to be had, unfortunately. Lamar Jackson's going to win the MVP this year, despite any reservation that any of us might have. The answer is, I'm in. I think this is going to happen. I just think it was a bad year for the award. I don't think anybody had what would typically win the MVP. Like if all of these players had the exact same season last year or the year before that or the year before that, they would not have won the MVP. Lamar Jackson's MVP season dwarfs anything that anybody has done this year. Patrick Mahomes, his MVP season, way better than anything that anybody has done so far this year. Just a weird year. Weird year for quarterbacks, and none of them are particularly deserving. The most deserving of them, though, would be Lamar. All right, final thing here, boys. In or out, you would trade Dylan Carlson to the Red Sox for Kenley Jansen if the Red Sox ate $10 million on his contract. So $6 million this upcoming season for Kenley Jansen, you're trading Dylan Carlson to them in or out. And 
I think Richie Palacios can do what Dylan Carlson is expected to do next season for you. I'm in. I think you need a bullpen arm, and if that's the best way to get it for cheap, yeah, sign me up. I'm in. Kenley Jansen can get both righties and lefties out and pitch in high leverage spots. Dylan Carlson can only hit one from one side of the plate. So I'm definitely in. I would do it. And I think you're right. I mean, a fourth outfielder, the Cardinals want to get back to everyday lineup, essentially. We know what our one through nine is. All right. Well, if I pull Carlson from that equation, I definitely know Palacios isn't a starting caliber outfielder at the big league level. But I think he can be a, a decent fourth outfielder. So, yeah, I would absolutely be in. I'm totally in with you. We all agree, though, the Cardinals would never do this, no, right? No, Too many years no. of control. Untouchable. Not doing it for a one-year contract You'd with Kenley Jansen. Try him from my cold, dead hands. Yeah, no chance. No chance they would actually do this. All right, coming up next, what nobody thought would happen took place on Friday night as the Missouri Tigers take down the Ohio State University. We'll discuss what it means for Mizzou and why the transfer portal has made such a massive change in the way that all of this is going to transpire over future seasons. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ohio State has never shot out an opponent in a bowl game. And Missouri's on the doorstep. Inside the five and into the end zone for the first touchdown of the game is Cody Schrader. Second down and goal, 13th play of the drive. Cook to the air, into the end zone, caught. And there's Luther Burton. Touchdown, Missouri. We're not blue bloods. We're dirty, hardworking brotherhood that loves each other and fight for each other. We scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. We put our fist up. We said we're not giving in. We're faster, stronger, tougher than you in the fourth quarter. And we got an elite edge, and we're not going to be denied. And now we're the Cotton Bowl champs. M-I-Z. That's what it sounded like on Friday night as our Missouri Tigers take down the Ohio State University. And I don't want to hear anything about opt-outs. I don't want to hear anything about injuries. I don't want to hear anything about any excuses for Ohio State. You lost. You mm. lost fair and square. You stunk. Alex, teams that entered the fourth quarter Stay with healthy. zero points on the board had been zero and 112 over the past two seasons. They had gone over in 112 opportunities after failing to score in the first three quarters. Missouri ended up defeating Ohio State 14 to 3, scoring 14 straight points in the fourth quarter in that game. An incredible win for our Tigers, and I don't want to hear anything otherwise. <laughs> Alex, this does not mean. That Missouri is suddenly a team that should have been in the college football playoff or that this was a better season than 2007 or 2013. It, for me, changes nothing about the way that I viewed this team. I said it going in. I feel the exact same way going out. That was an awesome night of celebrating the 2023 Missouri Tigers. That's really what it felt like for me. I felt like it was a celebration of Cody Schrader becoming the single-season all-time leading rusher for Mizzou. It was a celebration of Brady Cook, who went from a guy that was booed in the first game of the season at home against K-State, first meaningful game, to a guy that is now seen in, what, depending on what happens next year, one of the best quarterbacks in the history of Missouri, one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in the history of the Mizzou football program. It was a celebration of Luther Burden becoming what will likely be a preseason Heisman candidate going into the 2024 season. It was a celebration of the Tigers having the start of SVP be about them winning the Cotton Bowl. 
all of that was awesome. And as a fan of the University of Missouri, I'm sporting my Mizzou gear today. That was a fun time to be alive. But in terms of it altering what I feel about the season, it did nothing for me in that regard. What did you make of Missouri winning on Friday night and what it meant in the big picture? Yeah, I mean, big picture, it was just the cherry on top of a really, really successful season. And if anything, it should get Mizzou fans more optimistic of what the next year is going to look like because you just accomplished an 11-win season. You win in the Cotton Bowl. Your coaching staff is back. You're bringing in more talented players and, like, Let's be real here. You ended the game with a Luther Burden touchdown. Like that was important also because it had gone silent up to that point. So I, I, this doesn't change the way I view Mizzou. It's not like I'm going to sit here and act like if they would have lost, I would have been pissed off and disappointed about the season, but it's just the ability to say like, we not only had a monumental turnaround season from what the last three years were under Eli Drinkwitz to this, but then you capped it off with a cotton bowl victory on the biggest stage that you can ask for. If you're the Missouri Tigers and you're walking out of there where everybody's talking about your quarterback, your coach and your weapon. That is Luther Burden that's coming back next year. Yeah, I, I think you guys have said it right. BK celebration, cherry on top of a great season. That's the way I would define what that bowl win was. I, it didn't change anything for the tra- tra- trajectory go. of go. the program because the program was already in a great spot because of what happened in the regular season, being able to go 10-2, and two, being ranked, what was it, top 15 in the college football playoff, and get, getting to the Cotton Bowl. That all was great. That set up for the trajectory of the season nice. for the Missouri Tigers for next year and years beyond. The win itself didn't mean much. I mean, it's just a cool cherry on top, good celebration, fun times for Missouri leading SVP. They were already going to be all in next year for getting to the college football playoff with the expansion. That was going to happen no matter what. I, I don't think the win in the Cotton Bowl itself really does much in terms of recruiting in the long term. But just getting there itself, getting there is the part that sets you up well for the long term. The win over the Ohio State doesn't do a whole lot. It's just a nice win in an exhibition game. But getting to that Cotton Bowl, that was a signal of, you know what? Not only was it Missouri football is back, but they got the right guy at the helm to lead them into next season. And if he stays long term, to lead them to have success for multiple years. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. I, see, this is the thing that it does when I get when we see these kinds of texts. It puts me in, it puts us into a position where we have to be like semi-negative. And I, I don't want to be that way. Mizzou just won a game that does nothing but give them positive motivation and positive energy going into the offseason. But from the 636, guys, you can't say that it's not good for, for recruiting. Of course it is. You beat Ohio State. It might not change anything in the big picture, but it certainly gives fan, fans and recruits an idea of what's to come. I think it changes nothing. Nothing. The guys that were considering coming to Mizzou previously are still going to consider coming to Mizzou now. Players that didn't give them a the light of day, that's not going to change, guys. Was it a good win? Absolutely. They were already recruiting at an extraordinarily high level based on the fact that this regular season went so well for them. Eli Drinkwitz can now go to recruits, and it's not about beating Ohio State. It's winning 10 games during the regular season in the SEC. It's saying we got to the Cotton Bowl. That's what he's selling to recruits. Instead of giving them hope and belief in what the future can be at Mizzou, he can sell them real results, tangible results of what the program is and how we can get you to the league. That's what players want. Recruits want to hear two things. One, can I win? Two, can you get me get me to the NFL? And I guess now it's actually three. Three, how much money can I make? <laughs> yeah. If you get those three things at a program, 
you can recruit the best of the best. And right now, Missouri can sell one. Yeah, you can win here. Look, we just did it. We won 10 games in the SEC. If you can do that here in that schedule, we can do it again next year with what should be a better team around you. Two, uh, can I go out there and make real money? Yeah, clearly at Mizzou, you can do that right now. Three, can you get me to the NFL? They've got six guys that have been invited to the Senior Bowl. It's going to be like a Mizzou college reunion whenever the Senior Bowl takes place down in Mobile this year. So, yeah, it is very clear Eli Drinkwitz and the staff can get you to uh, the NFL as well. So all of that is what's positive that came out of this year. I enjoyed the hell out of watching Mizzou beat Ohio State. The game wasn't particularly entertaining, but the win felt really good because in the fourth quarter, you were able to come back and put together a few really nice drives. But that's it. That's all it did for me. Alex, when you look big picture college football-wise, I think we have now seen the gap between the best and... This is not a shot, Mizzou fans. I promise I'm with you. A place like Mizzou has decreased. I no longer feel like the gap between Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, all of these teams that have been considered blue bloods, the best of the best, the most talented programs in the country, the gap between them and Ole Miss, Mizzou, maybe not Illinois, but some of these other teams that are kind of middling power five programs, I, I do think that it is starting to shrink because of the transfer portal. And so while the transfer portal has been seen as the boogeyman and this NIL idea has been seen as the boogeyman for so long, man, it's been great for Mizzou. (laughs) It's been great for Ole Miss. It's been great for programs in that middle tier Washington that have been able to take advantage of the opportunity to go pluck these backups at other programs or guys that were solid, decent contributors at other programs. They were like, hey, I think I should get a better opportunity somewhere else. Mizzou has become that place where guys can go to get that opportunity. And when they get there, they can potentially thrive in this system. Theo Weiss came from Oklahoma, went to Mizzou, and instead of being like the fifth option at Oklahoma, he was the number two guy and might be an NFL wide receiver in 2025 as a result of it. So we are seeing the tangible results of what the portal can do for football the way that we have already seen in basketball, where teams can go through these cycles now with the transfer portal if it hits a mid-tier, even a mid, uh, mid-major mid program can become a legitimate contender by using the transfer portal. And I think it is taking down a little bit of the talent in the college football side of things where a place like Alabama can't just hoard the five-star backups any longer. And I think uh, if any team needs like a uh, poster child for this, it's um, Penix Jr. with Washington for this season, especially if Washington can go on to beat Michigan and Penix Jr. is the, the superhero in it all. I mean, that's that's right. At least the most current. We've talked about how Jalen Hurts is a massive one as well. But, man, if Michael Penix Jr. is somebody who can accomplish a college football championship, everybody's going to be looking at this, especially these lower tier schools and saying, man, all we need to do is n- to nail on one of these guys. We get one and we're going to turn the entire trajectory around with our outlook as a program. You're welcome, buddy. Three times in one segment. Yeah, but yeah, no, you're right. I, I think it has because you are seeing more of those kind of. I'd call them mid-tier teams, the Mizzou's, the Ole Miss, that are always in the, you know what, they can have good recruiting classes, but it's hard to get to the level of what Georgia and Alabama were. But now you can dig into the transfer portal and start plucking those guys from their depth chart. And you're right, it does now see that you you get a fighting chance because look at Missouri versus Georgia this year. Missouri had a chance to win that football game. And I think think if everything goes right, you're going to see a point where it is, 
at least once, maybe out of 10 years, if you're able to do this very well and you hit on all your transfers, you get some freshman recruits that come in and surprise you, you could have a year where you are better than a Georgia Bulldogs or a, a blue chip program like the Alabama Crimson Tide. I don't know if you'll ever be able to do it continuously for no. like five, six years, but you can get one year. You can get one year where everything just clicks and it ends up propelling you into the college football playoff, propelling you ahead of that school, being one of the teams that could maybe even make a run at a national championship. That's what the transfer portal has done for schools like Missouri, Ole Miss. And it allows for exciting times. We talk about this as well. It, it makes it for a fun offseason. And you also now see programs now do what, what we see in professional sports, go all in. Ole Miss is all in on next year. Missouri is all in on next year. And that is what next season needs to be. Mm-hmm. 2024 for Mizzou, college football playoff or bust. Illinois bowl goal. game. Get yourself seven wins, man. Yeah. Get yourself seven wins. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, it's my favorite time of the year, Alex. The Zips projections are out, and that means that it is time to see what they say about your St. Louis Cardinals. Zip, 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 zip. Oh, yeah, we'll get I forgot we that. did that. The junk drawer is Very next. Awkward. Joe on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven day week. into the junk drawers. What do you got for us today, my man? Guys, I'm pissed off at Disney. <laughs> I'm pissed <laughs> off at Disney, and this is somebody who's going to Disney in like three weeks, but I don't really care. They're not going to keep me from it. Uh, you know, you always want to start 2024 off on the right foot, and I like to hope that the new year brings us better movies. Yeah. Well, because Disney sucks at the, um, the, the naming rights and didn't renew the Mickey Mouse one, the imaging attached to it, the Steamboat Willie one. Now we got a crap horror movie coming out with the mask of a Mickey Mouse character. This is this is what we've come to now. There was just a movie out, a horror film, about a dude who dresses up as Winnie the Pooh killing people. And now we've got Steamboat Willie of the Mickey Mouse origin going out killing people. To be fair, Disney couldn't have retained the rights to Steamboat Willie. Because I can't remember what it's called. But after 95 years... But I, but I thought they could re-up no. it. You cannot re-up it. Really? After ninety after ninety five years, like if one hundred one ESPN, for example, decided to uh, whatever it is, co- copyright one, take the logo of BK and Ferrario and say this is ours, we own it, and put whatever that's on it, they would own it for ninety five years, and at the year ninety six, anybody could have it. Steamboat Willie is available, so it was gone no matter what. Yeah, they could not. That's I why we were the able pool. to to, to re up it after the no, ninety five years. What is what is that called? I'm, I just talked about this with my dad. This is the only domain. reason I know about this. Public what? domain. Well, that's what yeah, it is. That's yeah, that's a public domain. Yeah. So now we get this. Steamboat Willie had a blood and honey. Yeah. 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 And he fell off. At, what was that two years ago? What year did that movie come Sounds out? Sounds like it. Because that was the year that it, he fell off. So at some point, and me and my dad were talking about this. So each version of Mickey that is made. So the Mickey that you see today, ninety-five years from, well, yesterday would become available to the public. I'm glad you went down this path because this got me thinking. I thought this was the worst thing you could do in terms of a character becoming available and saying, let's repurpose this as a horror film. 
<laughs> name name something else that when the public domain is available, elf. it gets turned into oh, a serial killer. Hundred percent elf. elf. Elf is a good Bunny one. Bunny the elf is the first one that immediately comes I can't, to mind. I was thinking Charlie of one of the Brown. princesses. Charlie, oh, yeah. that's a good one. I yeah. actually can't wait for a baby shark horror film. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh my that god, already is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's true. It's the baby shark song. But imagine Bluey? instead of Bluey. Oh my god, Bluey. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a, a good, good one. one. Uh, Seriously though, like just baby shark Clifford, instead of the big the, red dog. My daughter's yeah, into that right now. He's gonna get there at some point, I think. Yeah, like Jaws instead of done. But like we were discussing this shark doo 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 doo. I originally thought, oh, that would be terrifying in a horror horror film. Um, I originally thought, like, man, I I thought the princesses would be getting close to that. I think the first one comes off the books in like 2048. So look forward, Jesus. and it'll be. I think it's Snow, Snow White. Snow White, the first I think, one. is what it was. Yeah. So look forward to the Snow White horror film. And around 2048, like, 2050. Like, come on, can we come up with more creative ideas than a a Mickey Mouse slasher film? No. No. Good. No. Do you think they make a Disney World ride of this? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so like coming, Disney. To a, coming to Disney World near you very soon. Like Disney Haunted World. Mansion with Steamboat <laughs> Willie. <laughs> there you go. By the way, have you seen the new haunt? New. Couple of years I actually before. did Haunted Mansion. Oh yeah, the the most recent one. Mm. I thought it was good. I thought it was too. I I, so I, I was, didn't know what to expect. I, I did too. It. Did I was like a little. It? No, I haven't seen it, but I have oh. not heard that from anybody. So I, I was surprised. I, I thought liked, I was gonna hate it. I kind of enjoyed I it. I liked the Eddie Murphy one. I thought they did this one better. Yeah, I, I thought I they did a good it. job with this, and that's rare for me to say because movies kind of suck. I can guarantee I'm not going to watch it. I mean, the, the the Rotten Tomatoes score for it oh, was yeah, abysmal. Yeah. The audience score was really good though. The critics did not enjoy it because that's like insane. every time the the like the the Rotten Tomatoes and the critics are expecting this like Oscar worthy thing. Like, come on. What did you expect the Haunted Mansion well, to be about? When I saw Danny DeVito was in it, I did expect an <laughs> Dude, Oscar Danny DeVito's character was hilarious. So was Owen Wilson's uh, Killer Teletubbies. Oh. God, I already am frightened by those. Wait, is that already a thing? Or no, oh, kill a tubby sounds like a uh, a a like band. Some some like what is it? EMD band or something like that? I don't even know what that's called. I don't listen to that music. Elmo, when's Elmo gonna get one? Cookie Monster, uh, Oscar the Grouch. Ooh. Enter my trash can. That'll be the subtitle for it. Alongside Alex, my can. on BK. This has <laughs> gone off the rails. Coming up next, the Zips projections are officially out. If you're not familiar, it's basically a fan graphs puts out their fancy nerdy numbers on what the team's going to do in 2024. We That's like to look into them to see, okay, where is the national perspective on the Cardinals? Eh, it's not particularly good for two aging superstars on the team. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic. Want to get his thoughts on the weekend that was for the Blues. 0-2, but overall, I thought the play was pretty good. We'll see what JR's perspective was on that when he joins us coming up here in just a bit. But Alex, let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals because earlier today over on Fangraphs, they had their nerdy numbers that came out about what you can expect from the St. Louis Cardinals in 2024. Let's be honest. We kind of know what this was going to be, but it puts numbers with the names and it gives us a firm, firm grasp on what the projection systems are showing. If you're looking at the starting pitching, it basically said, hey, you've got a good front-end starter, one, two, whatever you want to classify him as with Sonny Gray, and then you got a bunch of number four starters. Pretty much what we all thought based on our 
eye test. The goat, numbers match that. Goat cards. <laughs> what I thought was more interesting, though, Alex, was what they have in their projection systems for Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Because they, for their wins above replacement numbers, had them significantly below where they were a year ago. Last year, Goldie was one of the top projected players in all of Major League Baseball. This year, they think he's a pretty well above average, but not great player at first base. Same thing is kind of true for Nolan Arenado as well. They're projected for a combined seven wins. Last year was closer to like nine and a half. Alex, when you look at Nolan Arenado and you look at Paul Goldschmidt, what would you say is a reasonable number of home runs to expect out of those two this upcoming season? What are you currently, like as a hopeful Cardinals fan, what do you want to see out of Arenado and Goldie combined home run-wise this year? At, at the minimum, 30. Yeah. Each? I, yeah, I, I think both should be, at worst, 30 home run hitters. And I, I understand that both are on the decline, but I also look at what their norms are and Paul Goldschmidt is always a 30 to 35 home run hitter. The same can be said about Nolan Arenado. So, yeah, that's my expectation. T-Bone? I would say the same. I, I think 30 home runs minimum for both of those guys. That's where I felt as well. And then I saw these projections. They have a, Nolan Arenado projected for 21 home runs oh. in the upcoming season. They have Paul Goldschmidt projected for 23 home runs in the upcoming season. If that ends up being the case, if they get a total of 44 home runs out of Goldie and Arenado, this is not a lineup that can contend for a World Series, given what they have with the pitching staff. They need those guys to be superstars. And if they are not, and those numbers are not superstar numbers when it comes to home runs, this team is going to fall flat when it comes to their lineup. And maybe more importantly, Alex, if that is what they're projecting internally, and I don't know what they have, I would assume they're a little bit more generous to those two players internally than what you're seeing here from this projection system. It it means you cannot trade Nolan Gorman. If you're getting that kind of power out of Goldie and Arenado, you are in serious need of protecting the lefty power bat in Nolan Gorman that has the ability to hit 35 to 40 home runs because you got to get that from somewhere. And if not from the two superstars, it's probably the young guy that has the potential to do it. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound crazy to say, but if that's what the projections are and that's what those guys are going to become, then you should have traded them this offseason because your your whole hope in terms of being a contender and trying to keep this thing going is Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado still are top players in the league. Those are the dynamic duo you're hanging your hat on. And if they're not going to be it, I, I'm not sure Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman are ready to step into that spotlight yet. They have those guys as basically being better players now. Yeah. I, I, for you, what it's worth. You should have traded both of those guys then and got whatever haul you could have gotten for them. And we're, then you could be talking about being dominant on the pitching staff and having this next step, this next foot forward in terms of building up your offense. They have, for what it's worth, over at Fangraphs, Nolan Arnado with a 116 OPS plus, which is 16% above league average offensively. And they have Nolan Gorman at 16% above league average offensively. They have Jordan Walker at 22% above league average offensively for the upcoming season. They have Walker projected for 28 home runs. Damn. If that ends up being the case, man, we are at the front end of what is going to be a highly successful career. Excuse me, 26 home runs for Jordan Walker and 28 for Nolan Gorman. Those are nice numbers. You like to see that. But if it's coming on the backs of a serious decline in Arenado and Goldie, well, 
you've got two ships that are going across from one another in the night, and you might end up just missing on both ends of it. You're at the front end of the Gorman and Walker timeline and the back end of the Goldie and Arenado timeline. The, the fear is, did we miss it? Did we miss being able to capitalize on the prime of Goldie and Arenado while we're still waiting for the primes for Gold or for uh, Walker and Gorman? And if that ends up being the case, man, what is 2024? Like, what is this season going it, to be? It should have been a, a resetting year, which, it, I mean, if that's what you're getting, it should not have been a year that you say we can actually do some damage. Somebody on the text line said, calm down, guys. This is just a projection. Sure. But what goes into projections <laughs> is, is real numbers. And... Tan- tangible belief in what these players are, can be, will be, etc. Projections can be wrong. They're only as good as their inputs. And in the inputs for Arenado and Goldie, they had down years this year. That's why they're projected this way. Us here in St. Louis, we are all assuming, if you're an optimistic Cardinals fan today, you're assuming that Nolan Arenado and Goldie will rebound in 2024. This projection system is what it looks like if they don't. If they simply continue in a similar trajectory, there's that word again, to where they were last season. And it would be totally reasonable if they did. Nolan Arenado going into this season is going to be 33 years old. Paul Goldschmidt is going to be 36 years old. You typically don't see players at that age get better from where they were in the previous year. Typically, you do see them continue to go in the downward spiral. So I I don't know what they're going to do this year. I hope it's better than this. They need it to be better than this because the rotation that they have put together is only good enough and i'm talking to contend in the nl central if they have a dynamite lineup and the lineup is going to be boosted by those two players that we have put so much emphasis on going into this upcoming season so they they need better than this if they end up with 44 home runs combined it's a failure of a season in my opinion for those two guys specifically i I would agree with that because i i think you need those two guys not i don't even know if they have to they need to produce to that 30 home run mark that we've been talking about and then you hope that the added bonus is Walker takes that step or Gorman is going to get to that point as well. And then you're talking about a deep lineup, and that's what you're talking about. Then you're not going to see the you know the decline start for those two while you see the ascent for the Gorman and the Walker. If you get the ascent plus Goldie and Arnado can get back to that kind of, I don't even want to say the MVP level because I think that's a Just lot really to ask. 25% yeah. Yeah, better exactly. than league average. If they can be great players. If, if they can be great players and then you get Walker and Gorman that kind of ascend to that good borderline a great then that's going to be a good offense that can kind of kind of cover up the pitching staff that they're going to have because they're going to have to they're going to have to outslug their problems I, I know they brought in the innings and they think that's going to fix things what they're really saying is our identity is an offensive team and we're going to have to win with our offense and if Goldie and Arnado take a step back not only is it going to put pressure on the younger guys like Gorman like Walker throw Newt Bar into that category throw he's not a younger guy but throw Contreras into this category those guys have to take their game to the next level, and they don't get to just kind of slowly work their way into it. They have to get there this year, or it is going to be potentially sitting on the outside looking at That's how critical Goldie and Arnado to, are to the offense. There's plenty more to get to from these numbers. If you want to check out the full piece, it's over at Fangraphs.com. We'll be discussing it throughout the week this week. There's some interesting comparisons in terms of what the players are on the current roster to other players that have had previous years that are similar to what they're projecting. I, I think some of the names that they put in here are, are worthy of discussion. So we'll get into some of that as we go along here this week with Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. Jeremy Rutherford joins us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Chicago's notes and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford coming off of two Blues games since the last time that we were able to speak with the St. Louis Blues insider for The Athletic. He joins us as he does each and every Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hope you had a happy new year. How you doing today? Yeah, doing well, doing well. I got to tell you guys something that just happened here. Get a kick out of it is every time I join you guys, uh, I tweet it and uh, tell, you know, hey, I'm going to be on at such and such time. Well, every once in a while, you'll get bots, you know, that are just kind of generated tweets. Well, lately, I've been getting this one. It's got to be AI generated because it makes it specific to whatever you tweeted. So it'll say, can't wait to hear you talk about the blues. And it's not an actual person. And this time she wrote, don't forget to bring the tea and spill it. So mm. during this segment, I want to make sure that uh, we don't forget to bring the tea and spill it. So, Jerry, are you saying all the people that tweet me after I say, like, hey, pregame <laughs> coming up next are, are all bots and nobody's excited for it? Uh, yeah, Alex, I looked. You have 11 followers. Yeah, uh, most true. of them are bots. So, yeah, yeah, that sounds but, about right. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, pretty funny because this one gets a little specific to what you're actually talking about. But, uh Obviously, AI, I want to preserve my job as a writer. I don't want uh, artificial intelligence to take over right. here. So Spill the tea. Anytime I get a chance to poo-poo these guys, I will. Oh, there we go. And hopefully you've got plenty of tea to be able to spill today with us. JR, what's the latest <laughs> with Justin Falk? The latest is uh, he did not practice today. The Blues uh, took two days off. That's a rarity. Uh, but uh, with the holiday and then with the extended break here until the game on Thursday, they were not on the ice the past couple days. And then today with the team back on the ice, uh, afterwards, Drew Bannister said they hope to get Justin Falk uh, back on the ice skating in the next couple days. If and when they do that, BK, then they can uh, have a better timetable of what's going on. But he's not expected to play on Thursday, even if he skated uh, tomorrow. He probably wouldn't play on Thursday. And so he's calling them day to day right now, but uh, the return's not imminent. Uh, one guy that is expected to play on Thursday, Jr. is uh, Nathan Walker, who was recalled yesterday. They sent Mackenzie McEachern down to waivers. Makes sense because Walker's been tearing it up. I-, I guess my question is, one, why did it take so long for them to bring Nathan Walker up? And two, are you surprised that there aren't more guys brought up from the AHL? Yeah, so let's start with Walker. He's had a great season for Springfield. He signed a one-way deal that uh, I would have thought that he would have been in in St. Louis at the start of this year, but uh, it was a numbers game at the beginning, especially with the guys that they would have had to put through waivers like an Alexandrov, so uh, they kept him. Uh, But uh, they're just not getting it from the bottom six, and particularly that fourth line. Not that you're leaning on that line for offense, but nothing from them. They've tried it with uh, McEachern here of late. Uh, not really much developing there, so they're going to give Walker a try. And so he did skate today on that left wing with uh, Sunquist and Sammy Blay. Looks like that'll be the fourth line against Vancouver. And we'll see what Walker brings. I think the thing with Walker, you kind of know what you're going to get, and so you're hoping for a little more if you try other players. And it seems like the Blues, Alex, always uh, kind of circle back to Walker and say, hey, we need what this guy brings. So I think it's going to be 
uh, a player that you're going to notice and a player who has the ability to put the puck in the net if, if he gets a chance. JR, a guy that I thought we would notice more with him on the ice was Sammy Blay this season. Unfortunately, we did notice him over the weekend, but it was not a positive. It was a significant penalty. He ends up, I think, not playing for the next 25 minutes of the game. What are you seeing right now from Sammy Blay? I think I don't want to take the easy way out, but I think a lack of confidence. And I use that word because he's mentioned it to me a couple times. And, you know, why is that? Like uh, he comes back to St. Louis from the, the trade uh, from New York and, and, uh, and then he signs a contract here you know, based on uh, what the blues know about him already. Plus, you know, a little bit of uptick in his offense. And I don't think anybody expected that to continue, especially at that rate, but you felt like at, you know, best case scenario, you had a top nine player you know, who could play on that third line for you. Um, he didn't get it done in that role at the start of the season. They've moved him down to the fourth line. Look, Alex and I sit next to each other in the press box, and you know, you'll see the occasional Sammy Blay big hit, and uh, he's up there at the top of the team in terms of that hit, but you know, just not really any other parts to his game right now. And then when you take a penalty like he did, you know, Drew Bannister kind of going out of his way again uh, today, talking about that's an unnecessary uh, penalty there. So uh, he, he's hurting the team a little bit right now. Uh, but it looks like based on the line combinations, he'll get back in there. I think that, you know, Sammy Blay is a guy who still can be that guy for you in terms of a bottom six inexpensive guy and kind of help you stay competitive, but for whatever reason, just hasn't been able to get the job done. You know, JR, I was a little surprised, and I understand it's like the first practice since being two days off. They've got a couple more before their game on Thursday, but I was surprised that Bannister didn't juggle up the lines at all, and I only say that because there has not been a lot of even strength goal scoring beyond Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich, and Jordan Cairo. Why is that in terms of Bannister sticking with those line combos if he's not getting more depth of offense? Yeah, and Alex, you know, uh, we recorded that last-minute Blues podcast today, so that'll be out later where we kind of expand on that topic a little bit. But just to touch on it here, you know, does he break up that Buchnevich, Thomas, Kairou, you know, just to try to balance it out a little more? I don't think that he necessarily can. You know, they've tried that. They tried that with uh, Craig Berube, and it didn't lead to much. Uh, you know, I think that if they're getting offense, especially from Thomas, they've got to keep those guys uh, together, and you're just going to have to ask for more from these uh, second and third lines. And I talked to Bannister today a little bit about uh, the fact that they've hit, what, four posts in that Pittsburgh game. And, and just in the last week or you know, two, they've had a lot of uh, hit posts, missed shots, so on and so forth. Is it, you know, that's just hockey, or do they need to bear down more? And he said more pucks got to get on that. You know, I think the other night they had neighborhood of 60 attempts, and, you know, they're just not scoring on those opportunities. And so you can juggle the lines only so much before it's going to come down to, you know, having the right players and getting the production from those guys if they're capable of it. JR, final question that I had for you. I did want to ask you about Robert Thomas and the performance that we've seen from him so far this season. Uh, if you just look at his numbers compared to some of the best players in the league, he's third in the league and even strength points. Only McKinnon and Kucherov have more so far. He's on pace for 35 goals, 90 points, and remarkably, given what the team has been so far this year, a plus 27 on the ice. Do you think it's fair to say at this point that Robert Thomas has officially developed into a number one center in the NHL? I think so, yes. Uh, are they going to put his face on the TV when they say Blues are playing Thursday? Yes, it's gonna, he's going to be that guy. You know, is he to the level of a Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid? No, and will he get there? He, he could, uh, but he is that type of player. And Doug, I'm sorry, uh, Drew Bannister did talk about that today, saying he's getting to that star level. All you have to do is look back at these 
last two games. Yes, the Blues lost them, uh, but uh, Robert Thomas and other players, let's not forget them, you know, the defensive pairing with Colton Pareko, did a phenomenal job against Colorado's Nathan McKinnon and Pittsburgh's Sidney Crosby. Uh, so there is so much, guys, that goes into being a, a number one true center in this league, and Robert Thomas checks all the boxes. He did it again in these past couple games. He's scoring 12 points last eight games. He's getting it done on both sides of the puck, and he is, it appears, going to be that guy. So, JR, uh, final one from me, and there's a lot of excitement for Blues fans around all of these prospects that have been performing at the World Juniors. I just got a text uh, from from Roger, who's in charge of the uh, PR for the Blues. The Blues lead the World Juniors tournament, their prospects, with 35 points. Should the hype be real for all of these guys for Blues fans? Yeah, you weren't supposed to say that came from Roger. I was going to use those stats. And, well, and <laughs> use them as my own. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's tremendous. And there were some other good nuggets in there. I mean, of the Blues' seven prospects, uh, all of them made the quarterfinals. Uh, six of the seven had at least a point today. So, you know, those stats coming uh, from the Blues. And, and the fact that uh, 35 combined points of Blues' seven prospects at the World Junior Championship Tournament, that's the tops in the NHL. Obviously, the more players you have, the better chance you're going to have to, to rack up points and, and have that distinction. Uh, but still, those players have to produce, and the Blues players did in this tournament. And, you know, you, you talk about uh, the Snuggaroos and the D- Dvorskis, that's great. But how about uh, Jacob Stancil today gets two goals for Czechia, including the game winner, to knock Canada out of the tournament. It's just been a phenomenal tournament for Blues prospects up and down. This is what they envision when they decided to go towards the retool, rebuild, whatever you want to recall it, and uh, and these guys are starting to come through. So it's a different level. The NHL, once they get over here, of these seven, maybe only two or three make the NHL, uh, but it's a good sign when you have so many to grab from. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. Looking forward to all of your great work as always over on The Athletic and following you on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Enjoy the game coming up later this week. Enjoy the next couple of days off, which will be nice for you. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. Yeah, a couple stories coming up and just uh, spilling a little tea here as we wrap up. There we go. As we do each and every Tuesday with our great friend, the one and only Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Alex, you were talking about the depth of scoring that isn't there for the Blues right now and their uh, inability to really add anything to that Thomas line. I was looking this up during that segment. Uh, Over the last eight games, the Blues have a total of five goals from their non-top three, so Buchnevich, Thomas, uh, and Kairou. Kapanen, Neighbors, Torpchenko, Hayes, and Saad each have one goal at even strength over the last eight games. I was going to say. And that's it. Wow. That is all that their bottom nine forwards have produced at even strength over the last eight games. And I think a majority of those came in that Chicago Blackhawks game. Uh, No, all of them were in different games, actually. Oh, really? Okay, that's They have not had anybody score more than one goal outside of their top line in their last eight games at even strength. There have been guys that have done it um, from same lines, whatever, um, at power play, shorthanded. They've had some opportunities, but at even strength, Kapanen had one in the third period against Pittsburgh. Neighbors had one in the first period against Dallas. Torpchenko's second period against Florida. Hayes' second period in this other game against Dallas. And Saad in the second period against Ottawa. That's all you've had so far under... Drew Bannister as the head coach. And if I look at it, I mean, the defense has to be pretty close to the same number as yeah. those those guys at even strength when you're talking Pareko, who scored a couple, Justin Falk, who's picked up a couple, and then, of course, Marco Scandella scored in back-to-back games. It's just not good enough. No. And it it's one of those things where I want to evaluate them almost as two separate 
categories. If we're talking about the 2024 Blues, this team right now by the end of the season, it's a huge problem Mm -hmm. that they don't have this depth of scoring. If we're talking about the Blues in the bigger picture of what all of this means for when they're really trying to contend again in 25, 26, etc., I don't think this matters all that much because most of the guys that we're discussing are probably not going to be a part of the team any longer once we get there. Yeah, it's placeholders. And it seems so cruel to say because, like, you know, some of these guys, you know, like Kapanen, for instance, depending on what he values himself as, he might stick around as a blue after this season and be a fourth liner for a million or a million and a half. But when you look at all of these guys at the World Junior Tournament, a lot of these players are just placeholders because Jimmy Snuggerud is going to be somebody that almost I would guarantee is going to be a part of your NHL team next season. You don't know what some of these guys that are playing over in Sweden could do in training camp. You've got players coming, which means you can evaluate it so much. But the bigger areas to evaluate as a Blues fan, at least for me, it's the growth of Thomas and Cairo, what happens with Pavel Buchnevich, and your defense. Th- that's really the evaluation period right now for the Blues because this lack of scoring at even strength and the depth of scoring, sure, you don't want to sh- see Shen in this drought, but what does he look like when he's playing with a snuggerud on his wing or something like that? And sure, Kevin Hayes is in a bit of a scoring drought, but what did we really expect from a third-line center? Right. That's the hard part with the whole evaluation process. Shin is the one that is a little weird. I'm a little surprised by how, how much he, he struggled so far this right. year. But the rest of them, I'm, I'm totally with you. And to answer your question on who had more goals over the last eight games at even strength, the defensemen or the Blues, bottom nine, the answer is they're tied. <laughs> <laughs> the, the defensemen have five even and strength that's goals a problem. in the last eight games. Uh, your bottom nine yes. forwards have combined for five as well. Woof indeed, T-Bone. Not ideal. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get back into the college football playoff, the weekend that was on the college football side of things, and the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next... This has the potential to be one of the best quarterback offseasons in the NFL in years. Who's going to move on from their quarterback this offseason? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's look at the quarterback carousel that could take place this offseason, Alex, because as we look around the league, it feels like half of the league is not settled at the most important position in all of team sports. The Patriots, the Browns, Steelers, Titans, Broncos, Raiders, Giants, Commanders, Vikings, Bears, Bucks, Saints, Falcons, (gasps) Seahawks, maybe Cardinals, all at least in play for quarterbacks going into this offseason. You didn't mention the Chiefs. Yeah, probably need some help at quarterback, probably spending a lot of money on a average quarterback. Didn't need that. Didn't appreciate that. Alex, when Cleveland's you look at this offseason, is better we've, than Kansas we've been City's. talking about this stuff in recent years <laughs> about how stop, 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 stop. He's stop, got gray stop, everywhere. Amari Cooper, please, please, please. <laughs> um, when you look at what we've seen in quarterback movement in previous offseasons, we saw Matt Stafford go from the Lions uh, to the Rams and Jared Goff going back to the Lions in that deal. We saw Baker Mayfield move teams a couple of different times. We saw Aaron Rodgers move teams. We saw Russell Wilson. We've seen some significant movement at the position, unlike what we had really seen in recent years. 
This might be the offseason, though, for quarterback movement. Justin Fields could legitimately be traded and the Bears take somebody else at number one overall. The thing that we all thought the Cardinals could end up doing, that could definitely take place this offseason with the Bears. Kirk Cousins, up for a contract, coming off of a significant injury. Nobody seems to know what the plan is with him. Russell Wilson is definitely going to be changing teams this offseason. Kenny Pickett. The, uh, the bunch of former first-round busts could end up going in the free agent market this offseason. How do you feel about this year's quarterback carousel compared to the previous season? I mean, this year's exciting. Now, I hope it actually lives up to the excitement. I hope we actually see movement from these guys, and it's not just a matter of, no, we're sticking with Mac them. Jones. I was just going to say, the top three picks, all three of those quarterbacks <laughs> could be traded this offseason. Sam Howell, Mac Jones, and Justin Fields. Um, frankly, I kind of hope the New York Giants are like, yeah, you know what, we should probably get away from this Daniel Jones deal, although it's going to cost you. But this is going to be fun mostly because when these quarterbacks get moved, there's always that extra incentive to go out and prove people wrong. Um, Jared Goff had that when he got to the Detroit lions, you didn't really see that with Russell Wilson, but that's probably because he's washed up. Um, Ryan Tannehill could be another one that we see go elsewhere with the Tennessee Titans. So I'm looking forward to it because I think you're going to get a little bit more competition, but I really hope it lives up to the excitement. Yeah. I I think this has a chance to get really hectic and it just depends on what the Cardinals and what the Bears decide to do because I could totally see where they decide to hold on to both their guys. I could see where the Cardinals hang on to Kyler and I could see where the Bears hang on to Fields. And if that happens, then the quarterback carousel just basically stops. Yeah. And I think the reason this is kind of the most exciting that we've seen in recent years is because those two guys that are going to be kind of deciding whether or not this is a quarterback carousel or not even a carousel at all are playing really well right now. Yeah. You know, when Russ was traded from Seattle to Denver, it was more on the oh, it's just a bad situation for Russ, when really it turned out Russ may have been the problem in Seattle. So I, I think that's why this is more exciting. And though Rodgers did get dealt, he had been he came off of not a bad year with Green Bay, but he wasn't as great as he was two years prior when he got dealt to the Jets. That's why this is exciting because Fields is playing really well. That They're even having the conversation of, is it Caleb Williams or is it Justin Fields? Do we trade down Justin, or trade down from the number one overall pick to keep Fields? Or do we trade Justin Fields, see if we can get a first-round pick, and then restart the clock? Arizona's having that same conversation right now with Kyler Murray. Now, he's on a bigger contract, but it's still those two guys are going to be what determines this quarterback here. So all these other guys that we're talking about aren't going to play that major effect. I expect them to kind of change teams. Those are the two that make this exciting because they're playing really well and making the decision very hard. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air cover service text line from the six one eight. Guys, I'll bet you idiots a thousand dollars that Kenny Pickett starts for the Steelers in week one of next year. Quit talking about things well, that you know nothing about. The Steelers are at the top of the list. If, Nonsense. If he does, uh, then the Steelers might be the idiots, not us. Why are the Steelers then putting out Mason Rudolph right now? Kenny Pickett refused to play. Simple question to me, sir, madam, whoever you are from the six one eight. They view genuinely that Mason Rudolph is their best answer at quarterback right now. That's clearly how they feel based on their actions, not their words. They need a quarterback. They don't have one. I, whether you thought Kenny Pickett was going to be great this year or not, he very clearly was not great this season. Mason Rudolph, in very limited exposure, has been better than Kenny Pickett was earlier this season. And you look back at some of these recent drafts, the 2021 and 2022 classes are why we are experiencing this kind of quarterback uncertainty right now. 2021, Zach Wilson, bust. Trey Lance, bust. Justin Fields, I still like him, but might not be the answer long-term there. Mac Jones, bust. 2022, the only first-round quarterback was Kenny Pickett. 
I think you can call him right now at a minimum underwhelming, potentially on the verge of being a bust as well. Four of those five guys that were selected in the first round in 2021 and 2022 very well might not be their starting quarterback in 2024. And you can make an argument for all five if Justin Fields ends up having to go elsewhere because the Bears decide to move on. That's where this is coming from. We always have this uncertainty stemming from teams like the Washington Commanders that have no answer at the position. But it's the teams that recently drafted a first-round quarterback that are already willing to move on like that. That's what's new. Teams previously would just keep trying it, being like, you know what? It's the supporting cast. It's the coach. It's not the quarterback. We couldn't have been that wrong about Trey Lance. No, it was the quarterback, man. Brock Purdy was really good there. Jimmy Garoppolo was really good there. Every other option there was good except for him. When you look at what Zach Wilson did up in New York, man, that guy was the worst of their options. Terrible. He's got to be gone next year. When you look at what Mac Jones has done in New England, they are getting better results right now from Bailey Zappi than what they previously got out of Mac Jones. He's the problem. Now, they haven't fixed all of their other issues. That's why they're still losing games. But they clearly had a quarterback problem there. And this offseason... There are answers potentially to some of these questions that teams are asking, whether it's at the top of the draft where the number one overall pick could be up for grabs. Maybe it's Justin Fields. Maybe you decide we're the team that thinks that we are a quarterback away. And Kirk Cousins is a pretty damn good one. Not perfect, but a pretty good quarterback that can help us contend in 2024. There are some really compelling options that could be available in the offseason, unlike previous years. That being said, there's like five of them. We just named like 15 teams that are in need of a quarterback, which means that a lot of these teams are going to be left on the outside looking in. And if you're the Bears, either Justin Fields or that number one overall pick, you should be getting a King's ransom for this offseason. And then Cam Newton will still be sitting in the offseason saying, man, I'm better than half of these quarterbacks in the NHL, but still not have a job. There's that too. That's pretty much how that works. Do you think Russ gets a starting job next year? Yes. Yeah. I think somebody will view him as a stopgap. I I think think somebody will give him. Washington would make sense to be like, oh, we'll take him on and draft somebody to play under Russell Wilson for half of a season. I agree. Where's Kirk? Where's the best spot for Kirk Cousins? Best, like ideal spot for him? Mm -hmm. Minnesota. Probably, honestly. Because they're going to end up with a, what, mid-round pick at best? Like, maybe if a quarterback, like if if they love Penix and Penix falls. Seattle would be interesting if Kirk Cousins does get traded. I think the commanders are a decent spot for some of these quarterbacks, man. I still think they at need least weapons. In terms of the we- I think their weapons are good. I like their weapons. I feel like Samuel, I think I know he's a free agent this upcoming year. They got to resign him, but Samuel's pretty good. I like what they have in Terry McLaurin. It just really comes down to like, are they trading Terry McLaurin and tearing this thing down to the stuff? I just always feel like it's just McLaurin, and then they're still hoping for somebody else to take that next step Dotson to be the number moments. two. He's, I yeah. don't know that he's like yeah. a ideal. Robinson's player. fine as a running back. Yeah, yeah. Robinson's. Eh. That's fair. I think I like your idea of going. Seattle Seattle or Atlanta are like the two ideal spots where I'm like, man, please just send a really good quarterback to one of those teams. Steelers could be an interesting spot, too. I I do think their weapons are pretty talented. Somebody said you're an idiot if you think they're not going to start Kenny Pickett next year, man. If you can go from Kenny Pickett to Kirk Cousins, I think you should probably go ahead and do that. Yeah, I'll take Kenny Pickett. I don't know who will go after Russell. I do think he starts, but I do think the Steelers actually, that would make sense. And I I think you get him on like the Baker Mayfield deal, where it's like a what, one-year deal with Mm -hmm. what? I I guess he doesn't have an option. He must just be on a genuine one-year deal because they got to resign him. It's a $12 to $15 million deal, I think. Yeah, like. That's the kind of deal Russell Wilson's going to get. And if you're a team that's got decent weapons, or at least a decent defense like Pittsburgh, for example, you could bring in Russ on a one-year deal and just see if he finds it again. You know What's it hurt? Could make some sense for Kirk Cousins is Vegas. 
Yeah. And yeah, especially that's Devontae how you keep Devontae Adams, Adams around. Wait, they're not going to go with Aiden O'Connell? I don't think so. I don't think that's the long-term answer. <laughs> I think if uh, Antonio <laughs> Pierce wants to have a job, they get away from Aiden yeah. O'Connell real yeah. quick. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Lube, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. College football playoff, the semifinals have come and gone. The first round is officially in the books. It's the first time we've ever seen in the history of the four-team playoff both games come down to the final play of those respective games, and it happened in the final iteration of this four-team playoff. Washington advances with a 37-31 to win over Texas, and Michigan beats Alabama in overtime 27-20. to Alex, what was your biggest takeaway from the two great games that we were able to witness yesterday? That the best teams won, first of all, because I think it should have always been Michigan versus Washington in that championship game, but my bigger takeaway was Washington is a team that people need to stop sleeping on, because I guarantee it's going to be talk about Michigan doing this and Michigan uh, making history and what they're going to accomplish. More talk should be about Michael Penix Jr. in Washington because that offense is elite and I'm looking forward to watching them play and I'm looking forward to seeing the stock, the draft stock rise for Penix Jr. Have you looked at the line for that game yet? What is it, like six and a half? Four, four and, and a half. half. Four and a half, Four wow. and a half in favor of Michigan in a neutral site game. So if this was played at Michigan, you'd expect it to be like, Eight points in favor of Michigan. That's crazy that's, to me. That's man. ridiculous. Like, if this was played at Washington, they're essentially telling you they would still have Michigan as a favorite in Washington. Yeah. I I understand that they they might not come with the same notoriety as a team like uh Georgia, obviously Michigan, Bama, etc. I, I think it's crazy that we have disrespected them the way that we have. That at every turn they have proven to us they are probably the best team in college football this year. When they played Oregon the first time around. Found a way to win. Played them the second time around. As a six and a half point underdog, I believe it was, found a way to win. They've gone up against, I think it's six different teams this year that are top 25 caliber. Beat all of them so far. Have yet to lose. Winning is a skill. Washington clearly has it, and a lot of that is because of who their quarterback is and Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, Michael Penix Jr. played great. We'll see if he does again. I think he plays well in the championship game. He's going to be a first-round pick and potentially a top half of the first round. Top 10, maybe not, but maybe in that 10 to 15 range. So I think it's going to be fun to watch because I like Michigan. I know you guys like Washington. It's the tale as old as time. You're going to get two just polar opposites going out in the championship. Washington, this high-powered offense with a sleepy good defense, but Michigan, a grinded-out, run-the-football with an NFL-caliber defense. It's going to be a lot of fun in the championship game. I'm looking forward to it. Certainly plenty more time to preview that one in a significant way. A really fun semifinal round. Really good to be back with you all today. Hope you all had a very happy New Year. It's good to have T-Bone back in the saddle with us as well. We're all back for this year. We're all signed in. 
You guys aren't getting rid of us. We're all signed up for the 2024, <laughs> 2024 year Ruh-roh. here on BK and Ferrario. So it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you all for sticking with us. We will talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.